Top featherweights battling it out coming up this weekend. Another Apex card. We've got you covered here with Fight Apex. Keep it locked in, and as we always say, let's get into it. And just like that, we're back and getting set for UFC Vegas 81. It's Sadiq Yusuf taking on Edson Barboza in that main event. As always, one half of your hosting duo, Instagram and X. You see it up top at Fighting Apex, but at Craig Allen FNP, at Matt Allen FNP. And when you look at this card overall, I mean, it is headlined by a big time featherweight tilt. You consider it for Sadiq Youssef out of Nigeria. He's going to be taking on the fourth all-time leader in UFC history knockdowns. And that's Edson Barboza. Overall through this card, a lot of ranked parties. There are seven. There actually are a few rookie debuts. And we get a lot to say about those. And a lot of fights that have kind of come in on short notice under the wire. Four of those as well. So this really does feel like a fight night picks type of card where we've got you kind of covered at all angles. A lot of high-level prospects on this card, and a lot of former high-level prospects, if you know what I mean, right? Like, if you guys have been following along with the channel, Jonathan Martinez is a guy, right? And he was a very pushed fighter at one point. Adrian Yanez, another guy who was very pushed at one point, had the big loss, of course, uh, to Rob Font. So he's looking to kind of build himself back up, and I feel like we have that story kind of repeating itself all throughout this card. In Michelle Pereira, moving up to 185, he was supposed to be having his debut at that division the last time out against Marc-Andre Barriot, and that would have been a really fun fight that I know I was excited for and I'm really curious to see how he does against a guy like Andre Petrosky at 185 because that's not an easy fight against a guy like Petrosky. He's a big dude at 185 so it's going to be a real test for Michelle moving up 15 pounds. A lot of big time fights and if you're talking about former prospects I mean where's Terrence McKinney at this point? Gets a win exactly. his last time out on short notice against Money Mike Breeden and now on about a week's notice in is New England Cartel's Brendan Murat. And so, if I may look at a guy like Christian Rodriguez right? He's fighting Cameron Simon. That's a big fight this weekend, right? Simon himself is a really hyped up prospect. Rodriguez just got done taking down one of the kind of cash cows, kind of future golden boys, if you will, of the UFC. That's a big spot for Rodriguez this weekend against Simon, because if he can make it two in a row against two high-level prospects, who knows what his future could really be. If it was a bigger spot, they'd have all these folks fighting in front of a crowd, but they don't. But listen, I mean, if the Apex is good enough for Tom Brady, a Montreal Expos draft pick, then it's good enough for me, gosh darn it. Again, you can find us if anything changes just throughout the week here at Fight Night Picks, at Craig Allen FNP, Matt Allen FNP. Toss a like and a sub if you haven't already. We've got you covered. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's get into it. A fight coming up this weekend in the strawweight division. It holds big time implications. We have the fight to vault over 500. It's 8 and 8. A big time matchup for the Spider Monkey, Ashley Yoder, taking on the former Invicta champ, Emily Ducati. And Matt, when you look at this one, 8 and 8 isn't great, but looking to skate straight through straw weight on this date, Matt, uh, we say served on a plate is Emily Ducati for Ashley Yoder. And when you consider it, Matt, 8 and 8, I'll throw down 8 rhymes, kind of like that big time song, Matt. You know it, you can't fade a pimp in his own f rhyme by 8ball and mjg that one is a great one and if you go back and look at that album cover from the mid 90s two count him two dodge vipers and one guy standing there cool as ice and somebody who's not standing here cool as ice but has probably felt some ice packs on her shoulder that's ashley yoder i mean she's been away for two years the five on in you'll see it on our graphic what does it mean well that's the last five fights but five on in fits in in the space that's available so that's what we call here on the channel 
four, or sorry, one and four. I mean, she's 0-2 against Angela Hill. We know that. She's had some fights that seemingly kind of haven't gone her way in the judges' They've eyes. They've been close, but there's always kind of been that one big moment for, other, for her opponent. We have seen it. The last couple from Ashley Yoder, the losses to Angela Hill and Jinyu Fry. In the rematch against Hill, she definitely lost that fight against Jinyu Fry, a day late, a dollar short. And she touched on it in Radio Row this past summer before International Fight Week or during International Fight Week. I listened to an interview from that week that she did with uh, Gorgeous George, MMA Junkie, as well as James Lynch. He did one in person. And both of them kind of asked her about the extended absence. And she said to MMA Junkie, I've been away, I've had injuries. And then she talked on the fact that coming out this fall at some point, she's going to be on a giant reality TV show. Now, she's no stranger to reality TV because Ashley Yoder in 2016 was on The Ultimate Fighter Season 23. She was the fourth pick of... Of of she's in Squid Games. Team Joanna, and she ended up beating who was it? Uh, one of your favorite fighters. It wasn't Jamie Moyle. I have so many of them week after week. I couldn't imagine who it could be. It, it was Jody Escabel. So she loses. She'll that miss fight, a big overhand left. But she beat. Or sorry, so she beats Jody Escabel. She loses Kate Jackson. She ends up kind of losing that fight, picking up the pieces with Invicta. But since then, for Ashley Oder, three and seven in the UFC. Now, where it becomes interesting is. Not just the reality show angle, but when she was talking to James Lynch, two shoulder surgeries after the fight with Jinyu Fry, one in quick succession, and then they had to go in there and clean it up and realize that it was a much worse injury than originally seen. So for Ashley Yoder, a long time on the shelf, you remember for that second round against Mackenzie Dern, where Dern uncorks a big overhand right, completely overswings, and then bank as robin black would say yoder hits that left hook and drops mckenzie Dern in that fight that was a really close decision that some had thought that yoder had won but if you do look out at matt both of these women a lot of similarities because for emily ducati she's trained with Jinyu fry who's beaten ashley yoder ducati's trained at alliance with some of the women down there jenna bishop kat zingano angela hill but for this fight matt Ashley Yoder training with all of those women at Alliance, including Angela Hill primarily for this matchup. And Akati has also lost Angela Hill, who's on the Mount Vesuvius of, well, she could be both these women. That's cute and all, but this is my really big issue with this fight. I understand both fighters are on two fight losing streaks, and you might look at both their records respectively and think, hey, 8-8, eight and 12-8, eight, and eight, how good are they? But to their credit, they have fought a fairly high level of competition, even throughout a lot of those losses. Ducati, outside the UFC and uh, throughout her UFC run, has fought a lot of higher level fighters, and I understand at a certain point she is going to struggle, because let's just be honest, physically, she's not really as big as a lot of her opponents have been. She's not a small, small fighter, it's just her frame isn't as big, and that's really going to be the story of this fight, because I do agree with you. These two fighters do have a lot of similarities, but they have to use their skill sets in slightly different ways because of their physical attributes. Yoder, I know we bring up the Angela Hill fights because they have fought twice, but Yoder kind of does fight like a poor woman's Angela Hill to a certain degree. Has to use that range, has to use that distance, and if she's able to through a lot of her fights, she's a difficult fighter to get close to. She's very tricky with her volume that way, but we have seen fighters, when they're a specialist, be it with wrestling or even striking, they can overcome a lot of the well-roundedness of somebody like Ashley Yoder because Yoder is someone who she's not terrible at any one category she just doesn't necessarily excel at any one spot and for Ducote I think it is going to be a matter of getting on the inside right we've seen a lot of her boxing combinations she does a good job with the left hand be it not only with a hook but with a jab as well and I think if she's able to get on the inside of some of the more volume heavy attacks of Yoder I do think she's going to be able to land with some of those shots but again range is going to tell this whole entire story because where Yoder has had trouble is when fighters get on the inside she's a hard time deciphering when am I to 
defending the takedown? When am I defending the strikes? And they can mix it up on her quite well. I'll just be curious to see. Will Dakota go for a lot of takedowns in this fight, do you think? Or do you no. think she will be comfortable on the feet? Because no. I, I think on the feet, she's going to go for a lot of clinches, the problem. No. Though, and that's why I bring it up. I think on the insides, where she's really going to have to go for it. Yeah, but no. But when I do look at yeah, this fight, no? for Ashley Oder, again, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, when she was just a wee white belt, IBJJF Pan American champ over there. But again, when you're training at a team quest with people like Dan Henderson. It's a quest for knowledge, not results. Fernando right. Gonzalez and Sam Alvey. I mean, some of the best in the world. But you do see it. I mean, I showed the pictures up there for Ashley Oder, the Jenna Bishops of the world. You saw how good she was at Bellator 300. With Alima Lay McFarland, you saw her knee give out. That was a tough one there and a loss. But overall, for Yoder, I mean, yeah, when she takes on a really good wrestler, they're able to overpower. Somebody that's able to close the distance can usually kind of have her number. And when you look at it for Emily Ducati, look at it in the, her five on in. It's three and two, a string of three wins. She beats Danielle Taylor, wins the Invicta Championship. She beats uh, Zapatella. She's able to keep it. She beats Jessica Penny in a debut who trains at Alliance with Ashley Yoder and Angela Hill and so on. Ducati, then it, she takes on Angela Hill. She's not able to get it done. And her last time out, she didn't look as flat as the Angela Hill fight. She's taken on she Lupita Godinez. But the boxing of Godinez, I mean, Godinez is a very good fighter. And somebody, if she's not in the top 15 by now, I mean, let's just throw out the rankings. They don't make any sense anyway. But when you do look at it for Ducati, boxing combinations, head to the body, and a lot of leg kicks. She's one of the better leg kickers in the strawweight division. Ducati tends to plod forward a little bit more, but disguise things with her own volume. She's able to mix her power shots in well. You saw it in that Danielle Taylor fight where she had her kind of rocked and then threw the head kick and knocked her out. It was a wild knockout win. And that's not really par for the course. That's hitting eagle. Yeah. It really is. So when you look at it for Ducati, she is favored quite highly in this matchup. But again, Ashley Oder was somebody I can remember a couple of years ago when we were breaking down her fights fairly often. We'd say, yeah, the record doesn't always tell the story with her. We'll have a look at the topology votes, but I don't think they're going to be all that close. So I'm going to say over under 87.5% Ducati in this uh, I think they'll be under, but she'll be a heavy favorite. And it's over. over. So 1,017 total votes, 94% Ducati and 86% by decision. I have Emily Ducati in this fight because... When I do look at her, again, like you said, the jab to the left hook, the straight right hand that she throws, she'll mix in a little bit of body work. I think her clinch is good, and I think when we see Ducati grapple against strikers, it's good. But when Ducati goes out there and grapples against grapplers, you remember her fights down with Bellator when that record was around 500. She was in the Yoder zone, and it wasn't working out all that well for her. Now, again... The level of training partner that Takati has at ATT OKC, and if she does end up cross-training, well, it's not going to be in California for this one, but the bits that we've seen her train down in Dallas, it has worked out pretty well for her to complement her own skill set, but it is a tough fight against Ashley Oder, who really does fight to the, to the nickname that she has. But at 35, though, with the injuries, you do have to wonder what stage of her career is she at. She's not 8-8 eight eight because she is one of the great fighters in the division. But again, she does offer a really interesting stylistic test because of the well-roundedness of her game. And I do think there's a world out there where Ducati is kind of just stuck on the outside of the range, not really being able to close the distance on some of those punches. And if that is the case, A, it's probably going to be a pretty boring fight. And B, Ashley Oder might be able to just ha-ha her way to a decision win. I do have Ducati. I do agree with your ultimate prediction. But it is an oddly close fight just because Yoder does have a path to victory. Well, and we'll see if it ends up like uh, Roman Delidze taking on Marvin Vittori. Delidze used to train at Extreme Tour. Vittori sneaks in, and then he goes in, takes the game plan. Ducati was the first one to train at Alliance. 
And then all of a sudden you get Yoder there with the crew. Maybe they'll be able to decipher that game plan. Both of us in this one going with Gordinha, Emily Ducati to get the win. Let us know down below in the comments section who you have on the card. Matt, 12 total fights you're not going to want to miss. Keep it locked in with Fight Name Picks. We always say, let's get into it. Originally to be number 15, El Guapo Chris Gutierrez taking on the underground king of the Bantamweight division. I'm talking about Montel Jackson. How excited were we, Craig? Early on last week, that fight was dissolved. Montel Jackson couldn't make the walk, so it was announced that the Mongolian Knight, Alatang Hei Lee, would be taking this matchup in on short notice, Matt, in this loaded shark tank of the Bantamweight division. And when you look at this fight overall, Matt, Alatang Hei Lee was already getting ready for a fight. He was supposed to fight my guy, a personal favorite, not Leonardo Santos, no, Ronnie Yaya, another Brazilian grappling ace. And for Alatang Hei Lee, that could have been an opportunity at a coming out party, but it ultimately gets scrapped. So now, instead of facing that wily vet Yaya, he gets an opportunity at the rankings. And this is where it gets really interesting because for Alatang Hei Lee, coming off a long layoff, coming off a big win over fellow Canadian. Chad Ann Helliger gets that decision win. And that's a big feather in your cap. It I is. mean, that that's win. an experienced fighter that a lot of West Coast folks will know. But he hasn't been active. And Alatang Haley's had that through it his UFC tenure. He comes in. He takes on one tough out in Dana Bakari. And they have a fight of the night way, way back uh, in 2019. And Alatang Haley in the UFC. Four wins, one loss, one draw. We remember that draw against Gustavo Lopez. It would have been an Alatang Haley win. But in the third round, he grabbed that fence and he lost a point. Overall, the loss, it's to Casey Kenny, a guy that we thought would be around forever in the Bantamweight division, but he's nowhere to be seen. A, I forgettable, a forgivable loss, though. I know a lot of people might forget Casey Kenny, but like he was a super talented fighter. It is. So, Alatang Lee has this good opportunity. For Chris Gutierrez, he was supposed to fight... Again, I can't stress this enough how good Montel Jackson is. And Gutierrez was a pretty big underdog in that fight too. So now you get this matchup to where if we break down Gutierrez really quickly, we know him as the leg kick king against Pedro Munoz. They almost went tit for tat in that respect. Munoz gets the knockdown when he switches to southpaw and lands that big left hand. It drops Gutierrez. He spends the rest of the first round on top. And Gutierrez really couldn't get into a rhythm. He was a big favorite against Munoz in that fight too. But when you watch Gutierrez fight, really high guard, really high he's one of the bigger taller guys at 135 and when it comes down to this one for Alatang Hei Lee if you saw over on my Twitter I'm gonna call it Twitter for this one I said Alatang Hei Lee is like the Todd Helton of MMA do you know why I said that uh no I'm curious though Todd Helton is one of the top three all-time baseball hitters with two well, strikes on him with two strikes on him he had 265 career with two strikes played on at him. altitude though which Alatang Hei Lee that Two strikes, it matters how the pitcher's throwing the ball. Uh, it's still, you have a higher average at altitude than you would otherwise. But when you look at it for Alatang Haley, the reason I say this is he could be at a 1-2 count, but he's always got a little bit of that wrestling in his back pocket, exactly. and he's got bricks in his hands. And training at Fight Ready with guys like Richie Long that was able to get the win last weekend, Eddie Cha, Santino DeFranco, it's going to just continue to sharpen those skills of Alatang Haley. So I like the camp for him. I like the Helton comp, but unlike Todd Helton, I don't think Alatang Haley in MMA would ever hit over 300 career. I don't think he would. It is going to be a really interesting fight, though, and I'm glad, and I do agree with what you said about Chris Gutierrez. When he's in the driver's seat of these 
these fights, he can go downhill and beat just about anybody. He lands great combinations. He has uh, shots that ultimately accumulate over time, which is really important. Not only the light kick, he will go to the body sometimes. He has good combos to the head too. And it is his volume to go along with the power, right? It's not just that one big shot that's going to put his opponent out. Yes, he does have good power, especially up the middle with his hands. But still, it comes down to the combinations and how often he can land them. The problem is, though... If he's like a backseat driver, he's never shutting up. He's complaining about everything. Like, he's not the greatest when his opponent is the one leading the dance and forcing him to think on the fly because it doesn't allow him to throw those kicks when he's backing up. And I do think that's what a lot of this comes down to. And for Alatang Haley, I don't think he's going to land a ton of takedowns in this fight, right? I think he's no. going to go for a few of them, don't get me wrong, to try to back up Chris Gutierrez. But if he can use the threat of the takedown to just get Gutierrez backed up and put question marks in his mind, I do think Alatang Haley could then start to land shots down the middle. Now, I don't think he's going to outstrike Chris Gutierrez for large portions of this fight, just minute after minute, but I do think he can land big shots. And if he lands enough of those big shots, especially early with a full gas tank, I think he can hurt Gutierrez because Gutierrez does have this one issue where he's a little stiff on the feet. He will stand a little high up with the Man. posture. But when he when he backs up and sometimes when he lands a shot to the body, he drops his hands, his head's up, and then he's moving his feet. So there's, there's a target there. Exactly, and that's where Alatang Haley could definitely, again, I think it does come down to just the threat of the takedown. I'm not sure how many he's going to be able to complete, and I do think Gutierrez is going to threaten quite a bit up the middle, especially with the knee, but if he can just use the takedown to force Gutierrez back, it does make the fight a lot more winnable than it would be otherwise, because if we just see Gutierrez marching forward, throwing kicks up the middle, front kicks, leg kicks, we probably know how this fight's going to go, right? It's going to be difficult for Alatang Haley to start moving his feet and evading some of those bigger shots, but if Haley, or if Alatang Haley can use the wrestling and again i mean it more as like a defensive mechanism for his striking i do think he can have some success well if you look at it for gutierrez again he has a stutter step of a weight cut it was the start of last week True. where the fight was thrown out and then all of a sudden he gets alatang Lee, who had a fight on the way anyway coming up this saturday against ronnie aya matt the rhymes continue for the first ufc academy winner over in china that's alatang Lee. his strike differential in the ufc only six total fights but it's a negative 1.64 so when you're fighting in a negative and your two-strike hitter, you end up at 4-1-1 one, one already so for the fences. with the promotion. Matt, if we consider Gutierrez a pretty big favorite in the matchup, I'm assuming the fans are going to go there on topology. I'm going to say over under 75% Gutierrez. I think it's going to be over. They're wild this week, Matt. 862 total votes, 93% Gutierrez, 66% by decision. For the 7% that of Alatang Haley, 32% by knockout, 53% by decision. So who do you have in this matchup? I have Chris Gutierrez, personally. I didn't have him in the last fight. Hopefully we no. do get a rebooking of that one. But again, stylistically, this is a much more favorable matchup. And I do feel like a lot of people are buying low with Chris Gutierrez right now. I know he didn't look great in the Munoz fight. Munoz was able to kind of out Chris Gutierrez himself. But still, Munoz is one of the better fighters in the division. He has a wealth of experience against high-level uh, opposition. So I do have Gutierrez in this matchup. But I'm really curious to see how this fight goes. Because again, I do think Alatang Haley, with that forward pressure, can at least offer for some interesting moments in this fight. And Alatang Haley shut out his last opponent in and Helliger. All three judges scoring at 30-27. You know, for Gutierrez, the two knockout wins that were on the way in against Pedro Munoz. You got the big one against Tanah Bakari. You got another one against the all-time legend and future Hall of Famer, Frank Edgar. I have Chris Gutierrez. Casey Kenny was able to mix things up a little bit in the matchup. Exactly. And Kenny's one of those guys. It's just constant volume. He never stops. Gutierrez is pretty darn good in that respect as well and he can do it through all three rounds so both of us in this one going with boss rootin 
El Guapo, Chris Gutierrez to get the win. Let us know down below in the comments section who you have. Some big time matchups, including at the top of this card. It's a featherweight marquee. Use of taking on Barboza. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Name Picks. We always say, let's, let's get into it. Big time bandweight tilt coming up this weekend. We have Russian Ronda Arena Siva looking to welcome into the UFC. It's Wow! Papa don't make no mess! You know, Papa don't take no mess, Matt. Yes. I mean, Papa don't take no mess by James Brown. I it's like Melissa, no mess, Mullins, Dixon. Formerly Mullins, now Dixon, the former IMMAF European finalist. She was able to get it done in that tournament back in 2019. But for no mess, Matt, I don't know if the nickname comes from Papa Don't Take No Mess by James Brown or she's just a fan of the domer industry. I don't know what that one's about. But when you look at it for no mess, Mullins, a very interesting dive when you watch these Melissa Dixon fights. And the same can be said for both of these women. But there's a lot of different handoffs that I could kind of start off with. I think this fight is wild that it's even taking place in the UFC. And this is the reason being for Arena Alexeva comes into the UFC and we slagged her we did, big yeah. time. Russian Ronda, Arena Alexeva. And Matt, when I went down through this one, I have no idea why this is even a UFC fight. Because Two if you sweats? look at it, for Arena Alexeva, I mean, there's articles out there. She signed with Invicta. Then she signed with Bellator. She had a fight. Then she got released by Bellator. The UFC scooped her up. They signed her back in August of last year. So they went with a 4-1 fighter. And we're going to bring up her record. And I'm going to show it to the folks out there on Topology. She is 4-1 now. You mean scooped her up in like a Rule the, 5 draft kind of sense? Yeah, we're going to see if this prospect works out. And if they can't kick it on the 40-man, we're sending them back over to their original team. But when you look at the overall record, Matt, the accolades, they precede her. They're good and they will kind of... Really kind of yeah. hit you off the hop. But so you look at it for Irina Alexeva. She beats Guinara Gereva. And that's uh, by refusal to fight. That's by <laughs> refusal was. to fight. The next fight against uh, Shakira Rakimonova uh, by decision. That's against an 0 2 fighter. Then she fights uh, Zetia Shaftor at RCC 6 back in 2019. First round armbar against a fighter that's 5 and 5. She goes up against. 5 and 5 when you're 2 and 0, though, isn't terrible. She goes up against uh, Lilia Kazak, who had five times more experience than her. She was 8, 6, and 2. And in that one, she gets out punched. She gets out grappled. She struggled against a fighter who she seemed to have a size advantage over. Even though at the start of the fight, she looked like she was going to finish Kazak. She kind of blew it in the first round, second round, third round, did not go her way. And then she took on Bellator's Stephanie Page, who was 5-2 and two back in 2021, wins that fight by decision. She weighed 129.9 pounds for flyweight, and the entire fight, the commentary team said, I don't know why she didn't make the weight. Boy, she looks really slow in this third round. Boy, it wasn't going very well. So again, I know I seem incredibly negative off the hop about this prospect who's 4-1, who's almost 33 years old it just it's a really really strange signing it is but at least let me play devil's advocate for two seconds we're not gonna see her in the areas she's worst at in a lot of this fight at least that's not what i think so for arena if she is able to translate some of that judo success over into the ufc then i don't think this is going to make for the worst fight ever and i do agree with you if you stack all of her skills up on top of each other are they going to equal of this crazy high tower no but whoa, i do think we whoa. will see the highest accentuation of her skills yeah so matchup. for irina alexeva let's give her flowers a three-time russian judo champion silver medalist she's a russian 
seven-time European gold medalist at the Sambo World Championships, a four-time Russian hand-to-hand -hand combat champ, a two-time European hand-to-hand -hand combat champ, a world champ in hand-to-hand -hand combat. And if you do consider that, I read that from an article in 2019. It was a sure dog one by Elena Katerskaya, so Elena putting in the work. But when you do look at it overall, for Alexeva, she trains out of Ratty Team, which is also known as Ratty Boretz, which is the gym that you're going to find Roman Kopilov out of, as well as Oleg Olenikov. Uh, but if I do look at Alexeva, she will kind of strike to clinch. She throws massive looping hooks yeah. with her head completely out on the center line. She's Leaves sort of, herself defenseless. She is there to get uh, to get hit. And wild looping striker, no jab, was another part of my notes in watching these fights. But when I considered it for Alexeva, she started her career at featherweight. She moved it down to flyweight. She missed flyweight. Now we're up at bantamweight. So we slagged Irene Alexeva big time. She comes in at 140 pounds. She's got Maria Agapova energy. And then all of a sudden, she's just like switching her stances, throwing body kicks, throwing wide looping punches to the head. And then when a takedown doesn't happen against one Stephanie Edgar, Alexeva just rolls into a knee bar. It was and she's impressive. able to pop that knee. And Matt, sometimes that doesn't work. Like we saw last weekend, UFC Vegas 80. You keep going for knee bars at a shoot the box. And Mateus Mendonca, you get knocked out and woken up by a punch. But Alexeva gets the win there. 140 pounds her last time out. For Melissa Dixon, she got a couple of wins over with Aries FC. She got that win over a big-time name, Matt. Uh, Zaleshnikova, who's supposed to fight on this card. Daria Zaleshnikova, who's supposed to fight Tainara Lisboa. It all rhymes. But Zaleshnikova out of the matchup against Lisboa. And Melissa Dixon, she was able to get that win over Zaleshnikova, but not without a ton a punishment at the start of that first round. But then if you look at it, again, the Zaleshnikova fight was supposed to set her up for a title fight against Giselle Mojea, and the fight falls out with Aries. And there's not a lot of conversation around it, but Melissa Dixon threw it out there on her Instagram, and she said she missed weight by 1.2 kilograms, so she was out of the fight. So a little cheeky by me. I put the little 137.6 doing the math with the kgs to pounds. But all this to be said... Both of these women missed weight in their last fights, and Melissa Dixon is legitimately getting a UFC shot off of missing weight in a fight that fell out. And I have a really hard time with this matchup, right? Because when you talk about a lot of really talented grapplers who have submissions off their back, a lot of those fighters are happy to take that position, right? Gerald Mearshart's an example that, again, we probably use far too much at this point, but think about a lot of Gerald Mearshart's success and the amounts of just awful, awful times he's ever had in the UFC. He will play a lot off his back, right? We used to have a term known as the Louis Smolka theory, where sometimes you could be a fighter who's almost a little bit too comfortable in that position to where you're losing too many rounds and not threatening with enough off your back. Here's the weird thing that I have with this matchup. Melissa Dixon loves to be in that top position with a lot of ground and pound, and she does do a good job with her own wrestling. Alexeva is going to be more than happy to grapple off of her back, so I do think that at some point, and again, if this is 15 minutes of striking, I don't think a lot of people are going to just become Melissa Dixon fans. Or I think so. I, I, no, I think, oh, the contrary, because... Unless this, Arena this, goes in there on. and just starts keep on throwing very hard. This has to be said. I mean, we set it for Alexeva coming into the UFC. She'll throw the kitchen sink at you, for get sure. really tired and we're surprised that some of her wins were wins. For Melissa Dixon, not a lot of head movement, 
She eats right hands like it's going out of style. But for Dixon, the big thing is she likes to clinch up if things aren't going well or if they're going well. She gets the takedown and she will ride out entire rounds on top with really good top pressure and great ground pain. And that's why I bring up all of those BJJ specialists that I've talked about in the past. If Alexiva does, let's just say spends 15 complete minutes on her back, right? Every second of that fight, you're still going to be worried she's going to be able to hit that Hail Mary, land a submission, and end the fight regardless of what the scorecards are. And that's why I have such a hard time with this fight, because Dixon could have that top position for 14 minutes and 59 seconds. And for all of that time, up until that last second, I do think Alexiva, unless she is completely just gassed due to her striking and just trying to get out of compromising positions, I think she's going to have that chance to throw that Hail Mary and get the submission win. And that's why I do have a hard time with this fight. But I will say, Dixon, if she's able to get that top spot I don't think it's gonna be a one and done type situation like you said she is very heavy from that top position and she'll be active too and if she's able to land consistent ground pound against Alexiva Arena's not just going to be as comfortable maybe even pulling guard or just working off her back from that position. And no mess again. You got to go down through it. 5-4 is an amateur. She fought Ivana Petrovich who ended up becoming the Irish champ and she was able to kind of parlay that into the UFC to a loss in the debut. But if you look at it for Dixon, I mean, as a pro, 5-0, and she's continually gotten these TKO wins. You look at the level of competition... I mean, you add up the wins and the losses, 17-6 and six is a combined opponent record. It's still not that great, especially if you consider, you know, her last win, I guess that's the one that vaults her over the top. She beats Daria Zaleshnikova for the first half of that round. She's looking for the counter left hook, but she keeps eating right hands, and she is busted up. But then as the round goes on, in a little bit of a scramble, she ends up on top, and I thought the referee was going to call the end of the round, but all of a sudden, he's waving it off. He's calling it the end of the fight. In her fight against uh, Zolvac, in that one, she's also walking out to the same song in both areas fights, Dancing in the Moonlight. So expect Ooh. that in the Vegas confines. A lot of people just grooving to the tune. tune. Again, not walking out to James Brown. So I really don't know where No Mess comes from. But the biggest point that I have out of this, and the other one... I guess you can find her regional fights that aren't with Ares. They're all on YouTube. So just look up Melissa Dixon or Melissa Mullins. But I, I'm not a big fan of MMA comedy Shane Gillis. Sometimes he gets me. Sometimes he doesn't. But the one thing that I can agree with is... MMA I watch, comedy Shane Gillis? Yeah. He talks about MMA? MMA people tend to like Shane Gillis. So that's where we're going to pull the that, pull Okay, but together. I don't think he's an MMA comic. That's no, all. I guess he's not Adam Hunter. He yeah, doesn't yeah, have a yeah, special yeah, yeah. out there on Fight Pass. I know exactly what joke you're about to say. You know, yeah, funny. you know where I'm coming from. I'm watching a lot of football. I'm watching a lot of MMA. Are you making a history? Crazy? And I picked up a book the other day, Matt. Revolutionary. George Washington at War. And I want to read you an excerpt. You know where the Shane Gillis joke is. Matt, uh, they're talking. The the author's talking about the Continental Army and how the colonies were pushing back against everybody that was coming in and trying to take what they wanted as theirs. Meanwhile, they're training at the key elements of tactical maneuver, moving from column to line and vice versa, remained at best sketchy and haphazard. Both of these women have that problem, like the Continental Army. Their exactly, striking defense is. Such a, a sketchy and haphazard thing that you and have to watch. And a win in this for. fight still doesn't help me determine the ceiling of either fighter. But am I becoming a Republican? You might be. I was nah. gonna, yeah. Wrong uh, country. 
Here's the weird thing. Again, I, I brought it up for all the reasons I said. Dixie could be on top the whole entire fight, and I'm still going to be concerned she's going to get finished at any point throughout it. Remember when Wonder Boy fought Darren Till? It was one of the worst fights of all time. But I remember watching it live. It wasn't that boring. <laughs> like, I've told people this before, and they don't believe me. Watching it live, it wasn't as boring as you would assume, because the anticipation was there. You were always worried that either guy was going to land that big shot, and I think the grappling sequences in this matchup is going to mirror that fight a little bit. So, maybe selling this fight as being Darren Till versus Wonderboy Thompson as grappling isn't the greatest way to sell it, but I do think it's going to have a similar vibe to it. Melissa Dixon open an underdog and a plus 102. She's a minus 150 favorite right now. We have a look at the topology vote. Surprise to us as they are to you. I'm going to say over under 65% Dixon in this one. I think it's going to be the other way. It is no, but it's slightly under. 979 total votes, 62%. Dixon, 77% however to win by decision. For the 38% that I have Alex Siva, 50% by decision, 38 by submission. And when I look at a Melissa Dixon fight, Matt, it could be Zelezhnikova, it could be the Ares fights, the fights in the regional scene. It doesn't matter who she's fighting. She did fight one woman way back when, and the nickname was for her opponent, Mistelli, the housewife. The housewife. Wow. That's just a shot right in the gut. But when you do look at these Dixon fights, she eats strikes to close the distance to get the fight down to the mat. I can see her struggling trying to do that against somebody who's a hand-to-hand -hand champ, a sambo champ, a judo champ. This is wild. I'm taking Irina Alexeva in this matchup. As I took the a underdog underdog in last week's fights on the prelims. I don't like Irina Alexeva. And I don't really like Melissa Dixon as far them? as high ceilings oh. in this division. But I think for Alex Siva, un unless unless things go really south and we see that cardio wane like or she we did weighs with... in at 142 yeah. on Friday you know like this is a question mark kick special just because it will be really both important women. to see both women on the scales exactly I agree with you though I do like Alex Siva in this matchup because if this fight is primarily contested on the mat which you would assume it's going to be Alex Siva does have the threat of the submission just a little bit higher not that Dixon's a bad grappler by any means but she's going to put herself in a lot of danger throughout this matchup and even though she might win rounds because of it I think she could get finished at any point throughout. So I've got Alex Siva, but it'll be an interesting fight. Craig Allen, reading books that Canadians don't often read. Matt, both of us going with Irina Alex Siva to get the win in the matchup. Some big time fights in this card. The co-main event, Jennifer Maya is going to be Ooh. fighting Viviani Araujo. You're not going to want to miss that. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's get into it. On Sunday night, a week out from the fights, it was announced by Terrence McKinney and the Schmo that out was Chris Duncan from the originally scheduled matchup. And in is the kid, Brandon Marat, a big-time name out of the Northeast. And Matt, when you look at a fight like this, I mean, people will know Brandon Marat's gym, right? They're going to know Tyson Chartier, New England Cartel, Rob Font, sure. Calvin Cater. And they're going to wonder, is Brandon Marat a Calvin Cater, Rob Font, or... Is he a Nick Fiore or like a Chris Mutino? And that's going to be a big talking point for this fight. But when you do look at it for both of these guys and for Brandon Marat in particular, I feel like we had a fight similar to this matchup on last weekend's main card, UFC Vegas 80. We kind of joked around about it because every now and again, you get fighters that fight outside of the rankings and you pitter-patter on over to Topology and you see where they're ranked in the overall landscape of things. Terrence McKinney. Drew Dober. Tentatively ranked the 34th lightweight in the world. And that's every major organization. They throw them all together. So, hell, AJ McKee could be I'm higher be, than That him. seems a little generous to me. But McKinney ranked 34th on Topology. Brendan Murat, 24th ranked lightweight in the U.S. Northeast. 
It's a very specific area. The barrel, we're near the bottom. Now, that's rude because it doesn't do Brandon Rod justice. And I went back and I listened to an interview that he did with The Room and Steven Domenico. He's always interviewing fighters out of New England. And Steve himself has a very, very New England accent. So what I learned about Brandon Marat, if you go through his career, there's bits and pieces of layoffs, right? Because he loses to Adley Edwards and you wonder, okay, Adley Edwards ended up having some big fights with Bellator. Where did Chris go? Well, he took the time off. He fights Dan Dubuque. He wins a split decision. I thought he could have lost that fight. And if you listen to that interview, he says, well, when he fought Dan Dubuque, he had a little bit of respiratory infection, had a hard time breathing going into that one. So he took about two years off between the Dubuque split decision win and then fighting Dion Rubio. He goes out there, gets a TKO win pretty quick. And then not that long ago, back in August, he takes on Lionel Young, gets the win. What was Lionel's record, Craig? 31 men have tried. 20 have succeeded. Now, Lionel Young, yes, is an 11-20 and 20 fighter. He has losses in his career to Rob Font, Jay Perrin, Tom Pagliarulo, who I think is going to be in the UFC at some point, uh, Peter Barrett, and Sean Soriano. So some big names. That's what, like six guys out of 20. So Most guys in the regional scene would lose to those six. But 11, he was able to beat. But when you go back and you watch that fight, Lionel Young looks like he's going to have some success in the grappling. And then all of a sudden, out of the ashes, Brandon Roth's able to switch position after spending most of the first round on the mat. He ends up getting the win by rear naked choke. So now, even though this fight's on short notice, Matt, I threw it out there, and again, being a little bit cheeky with some of these graphics because we don't know what Brandon Marat's reach actually is, I put for his style, hybrid. His boxing's pretty good. It's gotten better as his career's gone on. I think his wrestling's pretty good for a guy coming in off the regional scene. And it's the, a little loose, but it's not bad. The, the biggest thing for Brandon Marat is, and I'll throw a picture up there, he was on the last episode of Dana White's Looking for a Fight. Looking for a Fight Boston, that Combat Zone 79 card that was taking place. And obviously, you saw Connor Matthews getting the marquee and a lot of notoriety. And they didn't even sign him into the UFC. They put him on Contender Series again. But Brendan Rott featured in clips and bits and pieces. Now you're taking on Terrence McKinney. And you know how good of a wrestler he was. He went up through and then down as his wrestling career went on in college, university, so to speak. And for Terrence McKinney, the performances have been up and down. But his last time out, he took on Money Mike Breeden. I was putting a kayak on the back of the Subaru when I was talking about that fight by myself. And McKinney, 30-1, to 1, the significant strikes, and absolutely dismantled Mike Breeden by hitting him with a tough left hook to the body. And then he had him all sorts of confused on Beach Street, through a knee, and that was the beginning of the end. So a giant performance by McKinney, not that long ago, back in August. And now you get this short notice thrown together fight where Brendan Murat doesn't necessarily fight like Chris Duncan either. He definitely doesn't. Terrence McKinney, to me, feels a little bit like Cam Reddish, to a certain degree, just because there was a lot of hype initially, right? Well, there was. Like, this guy is going to come in, be a transformative star, perhaps, and I don't think Terrence McKinney is a bad fighter by any means. I know the results haven't necessarily been where the expectations were placed, but the expectations were placed quite high, and I don't think you can completely write off the fighter just because they weren't able to completely, you know, satisfy what the masses thought they were, because McKinney, like you say, he still does have the wrestling in his back pocket. He still can land extremely heavy shots down the middle. The guy can bang at 155. Like, if he lands clean on your chin, there is not a ton of guys in this division who can withstand it. And this is the big question I have about Marat, especially in the UFC. He does have a tendency to leave his hands floating a little bit. And we talk about this a lot, right? You can have your hands out very far. And to a certain degree, it'll help you defend things like overhands because it will help shield that shot coming over the top. But for straight shots down the middle, that's not necessarily the best striking defense to have. And Marat does an okay job 
without moving his feet. He kind of does have that kind of stutter, kind of half shift to his style. But if he does have that striking defense at the UFC level, and maybe he will continue to fight at 145 after this matchup. Maybe this is what we see a lot of guys do in their debut. You kind of have that one fight above your natural weight class, kind of get it in to get your foot in the door, and then we'll see you like move back David in. David O'Nama. Uh, Benoit St. Denis is always the guy who comes to mind just because his yeah, 170 debut went disastrous. But he has looked a lot better since he's gone down to his natural division. I just think for Marat, that striking defense does worry me against a guy like McKinney, who, yes, for all the faults in his game, and yes, we can bring up quite a few of them, the guy lands pretty good shots down the middle, and he can land accurate ones at that, too. And if Marat does try to go in there and use some of his own offensive boxing to match what Terrence McKinney can do on the feet, unless he lands a massive overhand early in this fight that can really change the complexion of the whole entire thing, I do think McKinney's the much more accurate striker from that position, even if he is moving backwards, because that's the difference between these guys. McKinney, when he's moving forward, he's a threat to knock you out, but he can still land power shots down the middle when he is on the retreat. I know we've seen him get clipped in that spot too, but he can still land if he's forced to move backwards. McKinney's big trouble is when he tries to land a lot of those power shots, he squares up and he's able to get countered. When you look at a guy like Marat, he can land those counter shots. You've seen it in his matchups. He's a guy that walks out to missile by Dorothy. I'd say underrated banger, but I'm not a big fan. It's like walking out to I'm only human after all. Like you're Raphael Fazeev. And there's a guy on this card that I think has a Raphael Fazeev tattoo. So we're going to talk about that. But for Terrence McKinney, you gain the advantage of being a soapbox in this fight. You gain the advantage of you're getting ready for this fight. Both these guys are going to be long for the weight class, even not knowing what Marat's reach is. He's 5'10", so he should fill out exactly. pretty well. And Terrence McKinney, he's, he's a guy that's fought at featherweight in the past as well. So keep that one in mind. McKinney, the Dana White's Contender Series vet, popping up from that takedown attempt. Sean Woodson, shut your lights out. But when you look at it for McKinney, this is my biggest thing. He was 4-3 and three at featherweight, 8-3 and three at lightweight, 1-0 and oh at a catchweight of 160, and 1-0 oh at welterweight when McKinney fought there the one time. But this is the biggest part. In eight UFC fights total for McKinney, his strikes landed to the head, the body, and the legs. To the head, 94. To the body, 25. To the legs, I'm guessing low. Goose egg. Terrence McKinney doesn't throw kicks, so if Brandon Marat's able to go in there, go tip for tat, defend some of those big action strikes in the first round, Marat could take over as this fight goes late because we have seen Marat fight past the first round. He's not like he's one of these guys coming in with, you know, eight first round finishes out of eight wins. Should Terrence McKinney add, like, the Yoel Romero hammer fist to the thigh to his repertoire, perhaps? People might like An that. An underrated tool at MMA. They might like that. But when you do consider it overall, again, uh, another reason for the layoff for Marat, he uh, started a cafe chain with his wife. A cafe chain. Good for them. So check that out. It's called Balance Cafes. Shout so out. In around the New Hampshire area. And this is a nugget. If you're hanging out with your friends on saturday you're gonna go craig and matt they told me this i did a deep dive because i thought all right maine they've got the irish hand grenade marcus davis they've got devin powell massachusetts got all sorts of fighters connecticut's had some vermont tim sylvia not really a, a big time tim sylvia ellsworth maine but not a lot of fighters tim boach out of vermont how many fighters out of new hampshire can you think of because I didn't find a single UFC fighter out of New Hampshire. It's a beautiful area. I, I, listen, Devin Powell fought out of Maine when he was in the UFC, but his gym, Nostos, is just across the border in New Hampshire. So it doesn't really count. So this could be the first New Hampshire fighter in the UFC. And Brendan, the kid, Marat, Matt, I assume Terrence McKinney is a I giant juiced up massive favorite we don't have odds on this one it was thrown in on incredibly short notice we have a look at the topology votes prize us there to you 
I'm not even going to make you guess. 94% of the fans going with McKinney. 80% by knockout for the 6% that I'm Marat. 50% by knockout. Marat's only lost two. Adley Edwards and Marat said in that interview on the Room, the Room podcast with Steve Domenico that there were offers to fight on Contender Series back then. And instead, they signed up to fight Adley Edwards, who went on to beat Marat and then fight with Bellator. So a tough one there, but he's obviously built things back up and a successful bit of cafes. Good for them. I love me a nice cafe. I'm Terrence McKinney in this matchup. And again, do you know what show I really like? I like this show called Rust Valley Restorers. It's about these oh, guys. It, oh, it's good, isn't it? Yeah. But he's got dumb hair. and his Mike? friend. Yeah, Mike's got some dumb hair. But it's his basically a show. Hold on. His friend looks like if Mario was a porn star in the 70s and kept just ripping and tearing. Oh, for sure. But it's a good show. My I'm not point kidding. is, though, the whole show is about these guys in British Columbia who have a lot of old cars and a big, like, rust yard. And they fix them up. Terrence McKinney might not be that sports car that everybody thought he was, right? That everybody initially assumed. But there is still some good parts about his game that I don't think you can completely throw out, and that's why I think he's going to win this. Matt, you didn't Shut watch out the... Rust Valley Restorers. You didn't watch the video I made by myself when I was putting the kayak on top of the car, and I said Terrence McKinney was like an old chainsaw that you inherited. Then maybe the carburetor's busted, but it'll still chop wood when you need there it There you to. go. So, Matt, I do have Terrence McKinney in the matchup. I think the kicks are going to be the big difference maker. And again, when he took on a guy who had similar skills, Mike Breeden, better boxer than Brendan Murat, but all in all, Breeden fought Murat. I think it'd be a close fight, actually. McKinney just blitzed him, and he threw the kitchen sink at his body, which isn't a big thing, as I pointed out, that McKinney does. But a lot of those big head kicks, a lot of the kicks to the body, left hook, and that was what kind of finished things. And once he got in tight, Murat's got a decent clinch, but... He's been overpowered by some yeah. of these guys. Lionel Young's one of those fighters. Again, the overall combined record for Brennan Marat out of the wins and the losses, 32 and 36. But obviously, it's weighted by 11 and 20, uh, Lionel Young. So for me, I do like Terrence McKinney in the fight. But I think this is going to be an exciting one. And I think Brennan Marat's going to get a big showcase and a good welcome into the UFC. And the fans, I can see them rallying around him here in the Northeast. So Matt, a big-time matchup on this card. Both of us with T-Rex, Terrence McKinney to get the win. We get some big-time fights in this card. You're going to want to keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, we always say. Let's get into it. Do I look like fucking Ravine? Yeah, come on down here, you little bastard. I'm fucking Ravine, yeah. And with Ricky on the way in, Matt, a big-time welcome to the UFC. Out is household name Daria Zaleznikova. And on September 15th, about a month out of the fight, the UFC announced that they had signed Javina Canaudi Oliveira Morais. And Matt, a big-time opportunity for Javina Oliveira. I thought it was going to be, like Ricky said, like uh, East Coast legend, Nova Scotian magician, and his son is out there doing son of Ravine. I thought it was going to be with an R, but it's more pronounced like that Portuguese H. Our school cop was in a Trailer Park Boys movie, so shout out to that guy. Cool stuff right there. But Matt, for Javina Oliveira, I went back and I watched her fights. And if I can make more Canadian references, look. She's aggressive. I even, I threw up the Toronto Blue Jays hats out there. I figured this is going to be a Canadian episode if I can make it. Javina Oliveira fights like Billy Talent's biggest song in my mind. There's nothing to lose when no, no one knows your name. Because... Oliveira's fought cans on the Brazilian All of them. She's fought some of the worst women you've ever seen out there. So she's 7-1-1 in nine fights. Nine different promotions among those nine fights. Combined opponent record 9-8. Five of them debuts. Two of them fighters who were 0-1. And her last fight was against her best opponent who 
again, in Simone De Silva, 8 and 5 in MMA. But then you click on De Silva's topology page, and I hope you did. She's lost 20 fights in a row since 2019. That's a lot of fights. Between boxing and MMA. Names on the boxing ledger. Amanda Serrano and Chris Cyborg. Kind of wild there. Names in the MMA column. Dakota Ditchdeva and Karine Silva, who's in the UFC. So some big names, but again, you're not fighting anybody who's very good. And for Javina Oliveira, having not fought anybody who's very good, we said the exact same thing about the Thai Panther, Tainara Lisboa. And coming in this weekend, the Thai Panther, it's Tainara Lisboa, the former two-time world Muay Thai champion, outside of the top 15 in this women's division. There's only 10 active fighters competing at women's bantamweight. I mean, already Chelsea Chandler wins one fight against Yulia Stolyarenko. Here's your number. Norma Dumont doesn't even fight in the division. You're still ranked. You Remember get we're a talking number. about the heavyweight division? There's guys who are going to be ranked, guys who are currently ranked. And then there's a pool. There's a pool of Josh Parisian. The Taffas are in that pool. Parker Porter was in that pool, but he's slowly climbing out. Bantamweight is in a very similar position. You look at somebody like Tainara Lisboa, and if you just go over to her topology page and you go all the way to the bottom, you're going to see a Muay Thai fight against Valentina Shevchenko in 2010. And if you're, you know, happy with that, then you just don't go any further. But if you're not... And you're a little bit, uh, like a little bit of an internet sleuth. You can go over to YouTube. You can watch that fight. And Shevchenko drops her with a nice combination. Nice one, too. She stuns her with, like, a front kick to the face, which is pretty cool. I guess it was a side kick to the face. And then Lisboa had to fix her top at the same time. It was one of those kicks that just transcended body parts. But when you look at it overall for Tainara Lisboa, she loses that fight to Shevchenko. She still is a two-time world champ at Muay Thai. She goes on to take on one Norma Dumont in her UFC day who I already mentioned and in that fight she doesn't get the win but since then she's beaten fighters and she's beaten uh, fighters and do they have good records though or good levels of experience no so for Tainara Lisboa she has five wins and two losses and out of those five wins the combined opponent record is three and six which so, isn't phenomenal. That's sorry, sorry, sorry. Three and six out of all the seven fights because Norma Dumont was also a debut and Lorani Santos, who beat uh, Tainara Lisboa, was two and one at the time. She's six and one now. But overall, Tainara Lisboa has fought less than competition in MMA. However, in the wins, she's looked really good. And in the losses... Like there's been moments, but out of those wins, what I've seen out of Lisboa has actually impressed me enough to the fact that I think she's actually going to have a decent time in the UFC. Because if you watch her strike, she's kind of a sniper on the outside. Very nice, accurate. Nice shots. low base. Really good leg kick. She holds her hands out quite a bit. She lands a nice jab. One, two. She likes to clinch fighters up. She has a very strong upper body to go for throws. And when she gets the plum clinch as a Muay Thai fighter is somewhat expected to do. Those Thai knees are great out of somebody like Lisboa. So I go down through all the rounds through this pro career. But what I do like out of Lisboa is she is very active. If she gets in a bad position, she's always fighting to get out of them. So we said that about Lisboa. She came in. She fought a fighter who was 4-4 four four in the UFC and Jessica Rose Clark. She gets the win in that matchup and what you like. Is not only did she get the finish, but in the third round too. Showed a lot of resolve exactly. in that fight. The striking's good. The takedown defense can be 50-50. But Lisboa is scrambly when she gets down to the mat. But when it comes down to this matchup mat, Oliveira, I know you love it because she trains out of your favorite Brazilian gym. I have so many favorite things in the world. Yeah, I mean, MMA. Danilo Suzarchi trains there. Carlos Felipe, it's life, MMA. Uh, her coach, name of Gregor, uh, or sorry, his nickname is Black Gregor. Black Gregor. Uh, it's Edilson Teixeira. I don't know if he likes Conor McGregor. 
or if he likes Gregor from what we do in the shadows. But it's Black it's a Gregor. Show. Black Gregor? It's so weird. A guy I... whose own record is padded to the end of time. Losses to Luan Lacerda. And alleged bad guy, Hussein Ashkabov for her coach. This is the weird thing about this matchup, and I'm glad you bring it up. We both, and I think rightfully so, questioned just how the skill set of Lisboa was going to transfer yeah. at the UFC level. Right? Now, I picked her as an underdog at the start of the week. She ended up as a slight favorite before the fight. She won the fight. But I still think it's fair, though. Like, I know Jessica Rose Clark. Again, I just got done talking about this with Terrence McKinney. McKinney was much more hyped than Jessica Rose Clark. But there was a time, and I know it was a while ago, it wasn't last year, wasn't the year before that, might have been three or four ago, but Jessica Rose Clark was a pushed fighter in that division, and a lot of people did have high expectations for her, and if you know anything about Rose Clark, you know she is a talented wrestler, that is at the forefront of her game, and if you're able to go out there, withstand a lot of her takedown attempts, and ultimately get a submission win, it at least proves that you do belong in the organization. I don't know how long you're going to spend in the organization, but your skill set at least will translate. Transfer. And for Lisboa, you bring it up. Yes, the grappling is what got her the win, but her striking didn't look terrible in that matchup. And I do think it's going to be interesting to see how often she's going to strike and how comfortable she is on her feet. Because for Oliveira, what I noticed a lot, especially throughout her regional fights, is she is all downhill trying to go forward. You bring it up. Nothing to lose when no one knows your name. Everything is trying to go directly at her opponent, either pushing them back up against the cage. She will sometimes overcommit on her strikes and just end up in those weird chest-to-chest -chest clinches. What? Sometimes it happens a lot, actually. Javino Oliveira fights... Okay, so there's three debuts on this card. Brendan Marat, who I put as a style hybrid. He can eat a shot. His wrestling defense is not the greatest, but he's squirrely. He's 8-1. Then you look at a fighter in Melissa Dixon who was supposed to fight for an heiress title. Miss Wade in that oh. one. She gets hit quite a bit. She has a good chin. We know that. And when she gets the fight down in the match, she's good on top. Javino Oliveira, 7-1-1 against the paltry level of competition. And what is she doing in all of her fights that you can go back and watch? And again, for Oliveira, the fight tape, not the easiest to find, but against... Uh, I was on Facebook. It was against a rabbit hole. Simone De Silva, she had a lot of success. That was a fight where, and this was her last fight, and it just happened a little over a month ago. Oliveira looked a little bit more reserved. She's got a really good one-two. She's got a lot of pop on her, her like right cross that she'll throw. But once she starts to roll, she really does like to clinch up, get double underhooks or the body lock, try the trip takedown. If it doesn't work, she's a fighter like Claudio Habero, who we talk out of, kind of a newer fighter out of Brazil. He likes to do kind of wild looping shots, but then he'll hold fighters up against the cage and just hold them there and hang out. Haley Cowan Brennan does the same thing at Bantamweight. Likes to strike a little bit, southpaw, big kicks, hold you up against the mat. Now, does Javino Oliveira have a background in uh, tumbling? No. But if you look at it for Oliveira, all the other fights that you watch, with the exception of the fight against the Silver last time out, she's throwing looping punches. Her left hand is completely down by her chest. She gets hit by right hands. And then every time it happens, she just leads with her head some more and smiles when she gets hit. So Oliveira could win this fight. I was down on Alexiva. I never thought she won a single UFC fight. She went out there and got a first-round knee bar finish. Oliveira, though, taking on a two-time Muay Thai champ like world champ in Tainara Lisboa, a Brazil versus Brazil clash. You have that in her co-main event at flyweight. It would surprise me greatly if Oliveira wins. Like greatly, greatly. Like great pumpkin greatly. There is a reason I bring this up about once every two or three weeks though. 
I don't think Chaos Williams is going to be very good in the UFC, like at all, if I'm being completely honest. Like, he's really surprised me throughout his run just because the level of competition was awful on his way to the organization. But to his credit, now, to be fair, he does have ungodly power that I don't think Oliveira possesses. But, and I'm sorry, Mr. Williams, for not believing in you. You're a very, very nice dresser. I'll give you that, too. He has really surprised me. And maybe Oliveira can do the same thing. But Liz Boa had a lot of those same question marks leading up to her debut. The difference is... She was able to go out there and at least justify that her skill set can transfer. Whereas for Oliveira, we're still kind of waiting for that to happen until we do see this fight. So I do think it's difficult to pick Oliveira until we see what happens in this matchup. And then we'll all have a much better idea as to what she's going to look like moving forward. I'm sure everybody by now has seen the Javina Oliveira fight against Waleska Souza. Went on to fight with the LFA. And Oliveira in that one tries to go for that clinch. She gets taken down. She spends a lot of time off her back. And the worst part is she CM Punk's it. Now listen, do I go to grappling classes? No. But when I watch somebody who's accepted guard with their legs, they're, they, they haven't wrapped their legs, their legs are free, and they're not trying to kick off the hips of their opponents, they're just accepting the guard... Like Chick Magnet Punk with Duke Rufus. He had one of the losing. great finishers of all time. The go to sleep was pretty sick. I just lift okay. them up and kneel. Well, she went to sleep because she it's ends great. up bucking out of the position. She gets on top of Waleska Souza, who's snatching it up. And I thought, there's no way Souza's going to get an Ezekiel choke. Won by Ezekiel choke against Javina Oliveira, Matt. Uh, Lisboa, big favorite in this matchup. Again, Oliveira taking this fight on a month's notice. Abbreviated training camp for it. We have a look at the top algae vote. Surprise to us there to you. I'm going to say over under 85% Lisboa. I think it'll be over. And it is under 926 total votes. 79% Lisboa. 69% by decision for the 21% that have Oliveira. 60% by decision. I have Tainara Lisboa in this fight. I think she's going to have a lot of success in the striking. Again, that clutch work for Oliveira, it could make it could just make it a stalemate and she does have pretty good knees when it's in the clinch sure. uh she's not like no mess mullins who's got really good uppercuts but yeah for me i have the tie panther in this one i've also got liz boa i will be curious to see though if liz boa did just have a pretty favorable stylistic matchup her last time out because maybe we were right you know like, I'm holding out hope that the take is still viable. I have Lisboa in this matchup, though, and I do think she is the more complete fighter. Both of us going with Ty Panther, Tainara, Lisboa to get the win over Kanodi, Javina, Oliveira, Matt, some big-time fights in this card. We touched on some of them, but Yusuf taking on Bro Bows in the main event is one that you can't miss. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, we always say. Let's get into it. Pretty grimy vet set to meet at Featherweight. Coming up this weekend, a stylistic carbon copy of one another. We have downtown DJ Brown taking on the damage Darren Elkins. Matt, everybody knows Darren Elkins at this point. He had that crazy run where he strung off, what was it, five wins in a row before he faced a buzzsaw of competition. Looked like he was out of it. Had a career resurgent in his last five fights. But for Elkins' last time out... He takes on Jonathan Pierce. And Jonathan Pierce, JSP, he's kind of in a realm like a Darren Elkins, like a TJ Brown. Is striking really going to be at the top of their game? Not necessarily. They can all they can do, do it. it, exactly. But it's really grinding and using the wrestling to wear on their opponents. And Pierce looked really good in that fight against Darren Elkins. And I'm going to throw it up there. Elkins put it out there on his Instagram. He tore his meniscus, his MCL, and fractured his fibula. That's bad. After that fight against Pierce, still get to go on his vacation, though. Good for him. Although he enjoyed it in, in, uh, in a wheelchair. I didn't see that. For some reason, I have Darren up. Elkins on Instagram, of all people. But for Darren Elkins, I mean, you consider it, we're what, at this point? 39, the mileage is there, 
and he struggled against some of these fighters. Now, Elkins has also had a lot of wins over guys like well, TJ Brown. I think of the fight against Tristan Connolly, the fight against Derek Minner. Would he, you agree? He is kind of in that Andre Arlovsky category of, hey, I don't look at this fighter and think they're going to go on, become ranked again, and fight for a title, but... As an interesting test for a lot of fighters on their way up, they are a very difficult one. And for Darren Elkins, you bring it up, and I couldn't agree anymore. He's fought guys who, during their path to the top 15 or just up the division, have stylistically been similar to TJ Brown. But the thing about Darren Elkins is, it doesn't matter at what stage throughout his career he is, I don't think he eats the damage as well as he used to, right? Like, he was almost impossible to hurt at one stage of his career, but he still does have the cardio. That is the one thing yeah. that he hasn't lost yet. He's like an Atlanta Canadian snack from the sea. Would you I like, like some? Dulls. So I like dolls. Reminds me of our grandmother when I eat it. I've got dolls here. And what dolls is, it's a she cold it. it's a cold water type of seaweed. And mm -hmm. it grows purple, usually. Usually. Up until the last couple of years. And it, this is a major ecological thing that you're going to learn here with Fight Night Picks. But the, clean the, oceans, but the quantities of dolls that have been able to grow in their nice purple color, that nice saltiness... That nice snap to it, right? You like that. But they've right started to go away because of the rising temperatures of the seawater. And it started to turn the dulse green versus purple. People don't want to buy the green. They want to buy the purple. The green makes it almost look like it's bad. It's not. You can still eat it. But people aren't paying that premium price for that premium product here in New Brunswick and across the bay in Nova Scotia. Darren Elkins is a little bit like dulse. We're it's over not. the hill, things are getting hot, people aren't buying what you're selling. But and isn't that the hardest thing to do, though? Predict a fighter at his stage of their career. Because I do liken Darren Elkins a little bit to even a Jim Miller, a Clay Guida, perhaps. Because, yes, they are what they once were, but they still do have a bit left in the tank. So to quote Mark Henry, you think he's going to retire, right? You see John Cena giving him the title, it's all great. But guess what? I got an awful lot left in the tank. And then he hits you with the world's strongest slam out of nowhere, okay? With that pink suit on. I love Mark Curling Henry so much. But no, when it comes down to this matchup, though, the reason I say it, Darren Elkins, let's look at just the last three fights. He loses against Cub Swanson, where Swanson's fighting with his hands down, and then he ends up, he gets the win, knocks him out, the spinning wheel kick and the like. He beats Tristan Connolly, where he wears him out, just like he was able to wear out Derek Minner, and then he loses to JSP, and it didn't look all that good. For downtown TJ Brown, you remember him coming into the UFC, gets the win over Dylan Lockhart, if you like North... Uh, northeastern mma you know dylan lockhart so he gets the win there and it was so so right like he was on his way to beating everybody's favorite jordan griffin until he gets himself caught on a takedown into a submission he beats kai kamaka somewhat controversially kamaka's done great things with bellator since tj brown beats charles rosa with the takedowns 50 50 against shayelan nordumbeka but nearly gets dropped on that one Loses early against Eric Silva, who comes it turns out though. is a one-round guy. And he comes back, rallies, gets the arm triangle win. And against Bill Algio, his last time out, halfway through the first round, running in, gets caught by a counter. Uncredited knockdown for Bill Algio. Second round, he gets dropped with another short shot. And then it's crucifix. Then he's on top. Then he gets the back. Brown looking to post up, and he gets submitted. So for TJ Brown, training out of Arkansas with Brace Mitchell, Westside MMA, you know Roly Delgado is going to get a little bit of a little bit of shine over there in the broadcast. Brown, I think, is striking. You know, for a guy that's had 27 fights as a pro, I know Darren Elkins has 11 more than that, but for 27 fights, I think TJ Brown has gotten a little bit better with the striking as it's gone on. It's a little fast and loose, and so is his grappling. He goes for... He, he, his mind must run a million miles a minute, but when you look at a guy like TJ Brown, for me, unless he gets completely worn out 
three quarters of the way through the second round and can't get it off the stool into the third round. I, I do think TJ Brown wins this fight against Darren Elkins. I have really hard time with the matchup, and this is why. Darren Elkins, oddly enough, has decent switch kicks to the body, and I think the kicks might be important because when he is able to start going downhill with his strikes, it's normally straight shot, straight shot, kick to the body. And if he is able to land that kick to the body, it is going to slow down TJ Brown quite a bit. And the one thing about Elkins that, again, I brought it up earlier in the video, that has been able to stay at least pretty close to what it was when he was in his prime, is that gas tank. Like, he's yep. not going to beat himself with his output, with his pace. And I think those things are going to be important because Brown might be the stronger fighter early and he might just have so much success with that strength that it won't matter near the end. But if this fight does go end of round two, round three, I could easily see Darren Elkins putting up enough of a fight defensively just to where T.J. Brown was forced to work. Yes, he might have been able to win those first two rounds, but if he works enough, he might be a depleted version of himself, and if that's the case, we've all seen Darren Elkins win a comeback. You guys know who Darren Elkins is. We know who Darren Elkins is. He is very capable of that style of fight. I agree with you. I do favor Brown in the matchup, but just the way Darren Elkins is, every time you count him out, he's going to really prove you wrong, and every time you start to believe in him, well, guess what? He's probably going to prove you wrong again and lose, so he's in one of those weird stretches of his career just because you know how good he was in his prime. He wasn't a top 10 fighter, but he was definitely a top 15 fighter throughout a lot of it. And there was one time where, like, he was contemplated to get a title shot. I know how crazy that sounds, but there was a time when they needed someone to show And then him. Alexander Volkanovsky beat him. But if, and, yeah, if you look at it for Darren Elkins, kind of like Dulles, kind of like that ice cream, that top note, you got to watch out for Darren Elkins. Matt, TJ Brown, about a 2-1 to one favorite. We have a look at the fan vote over in Topology. I'm going to say over, under... Look <laughs> at that Dulles. That dulls hitting back, Matt. Uh, 82.5% TJ Brown. I think it's going to be under, but it'll definitely be the favorite. And look, whoa! 1,032 total votes, 52% Brown, 73% by decision. For the 48% that I have Elkins, 77% by decision. I do have Brown in the fight, but I'm surprised the fans are, are that close on this one. I... I'm surprised the fans are that close, but I'm surprised you set the vote so high. You know, like, I'm kind of in the middle that way, just because Darren Elkins, you still kind of see the guy that once was, right? Remember when he rear naked choked Michael Johnson? Like, that was a big fight at the time. Michael Johnson had moving down to 145. This is a new, improved uh, menace. And then he got beat by Darren Elkins quite soundly. And I do think Elkins does have the grappling acumen to at least hang with a guy like Brown on the ground. Again, from his back, not the same as if he got the top position because in that top spot, he can really make his opponent work. I have TJ Brown in the matchup, but I'm actually oddly excited for this <laughs> Darren Elkins, I mean, big wins over Canadians too, or Canadian, Bosnia, and Herzegovinans. And Mursad Bektic, Matt, both of us going with downtown TJ Brown to get the win. Some big time fights on this card. You know the drill. Paredes taking on Andre Petrovsky. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Name Picks. We always say, let's get into it. Big time potential fight of the night up at the top and a combined record of 18 and 1. We have C-Rod, Christian Rodriguez, taking on MSP at a Team CIT. It's Cameron Simon and Matt. I know the fans, the real ones out there. You guys are excited about this fight. I am. Cameron Simon, his last time out, was supposed to take on... Who was it? Oh, Christian Rodriguez! And the fight fell out. Rodriguez couldn't make the walk, so in on short notice, looking for a fight. Ultimate fighter, Terrence Mitchell came in. And my Terrence Mitchell came out, shot out of a cannon from Alaska. So you got to shoot that cannon pretty far from Alaska to Vegas. But he came out and he looked hot. He was going for the takedown. He's trying to throw the kitchen sink at Cameron Simon. You thought, hey, maybe this guy's got a big opportunity at cashing as a giant underdog. 
No way. Cameron Simon goes out there, gets the win, and did he have to foul his way to a win? Maybe no. he didn't have to. No. But that's been but a happened. big talking point for Cameron Simon. This guy, before he fought on Dana White's Contender Series last year, an EFC Bantamweight champ, the story around Simon was, well, you know the K1 lineage, you know the kickboxing background that he has, but the biggest hallmark to his game is his grappling. It is. And that's how he's able to get it done. And he did it over there in his native South Africa. He gets the win on Contender Series, rallies after kind of a tough first round against one half of the Flying Wang Kim brothers, Josh Wang Kim, who has all of a sudden lost a few straight. And now you wonder if the Wang Kims are what the Wang Kims were. But for Simon, gets the win there and he rallies back and he drops Josh Wang Kim. You see that big right hand that he's able to land. Really nice shot. Right hand, left hook, beats Wang Kim. Goes in against a short-notice opponent. He was originally supposed to take on Ronnie Lawrence. Lawrence falls out. He gets Obi-Wan Shinobi the pillow. Stephen Kozlo, illegal knee. All sorts of illegal shots. Lose a point in that one. Then his next time out, he goes on to take on Mana Martinez. It's a majority decision win. Lose a point in that one as well. His last time out, he beats Mitchell for C-Rod. We've been singing his praises for a we long have. time. He's a good fighter. A Rufus sport guy. I'll throw up some of the pictures. Duke Rufus. Coach, popping the top off, holding the mitts for his fighters. That's a look. He doesn't look as afraid as he did when CM Punk walked out for his first True. UFC fight. But for Rodriguez, you knew about Rodriguez because guys like Gerald Mearshart, Paul Felder, the Pettis brothers were always talking about him. He was a very young teenager when he got exactly. into the game of MMA. And what I found interesting was once Christian Rodriguez made it into the UFC... He went down to Fight Ready in Arizona to get ready. And he ends up losing to Jonathan Pierce, a guy who well, trains at Fight Ready. So he loses that matchup. He was decent in some of the scrambles. But again, when you're taking on a guy like Pierce, who's a lot bigger, up a weight it class. It could be like a Nasrat Hackbrass, Marcin, uh, Hell type situation. It was. You know? It was just too much too soon in that one. Since then, Rodriguez, out of the takedowns of a guy in Joshua Weems, he gets a submission win there and a performance of the night bonus. And Rodriguez, his last time out, he takes on... A teenager, Raul Rosas Jr., and he beats him by decision. He just kind of wears through in the first round and wears him out in the second and the third round. Christian Rodriguez's biggest talking point in this fight, not just is this a giant prospect versus prospect fight. For it sure. is. I don't have to ask a question. Christian Rodriguez is like Melissa Dixon, is like Irina Alexeva, who are all on this card. Make the weight. Like, Rodriguez exactly. had fights at 155. At 150, at 145, at 140, he's missed weight quite a few times. He missed weight on Contender Series, and even though he got the win, <clears throat> Dana White was like, listen, there's going to be more opportunities. you got to make the weight more often. And that was the same episode that Jake Hadley missed weight, and they still signed him from Contender Series. So for Rodriguez, he missed weight his last time out, 137.5, and we're making all these comparisons, and we haven't been doing baseball or basketball oh don't worry just pass very it often and i'm not i'm not I'm actually not I'm in this one too. christian rodriguez is in a bad category though to where you're the kelvin castle in the division it's it's shit or get off the pot is it 135 or is it 145 because sure. he's not a giant guy at bantamweight here this is what concerns me about cameron simon though and we have brought up a lot of the positives because hey he's only 22 years old he has a lot of positives to his game but and i don't know if this is a thing in hockey but it's a big thing in basketball where think of a guy like trey young Lamelo ball or even like a jalen green who plays for houston the way you look at basketball is everybody scores 100 points right like you're just going to get to that number by the end of it everybody's pretty good but in pursuit of those 100 points you can have players who put up numbers but have a lot of mistakes associated with those numbers and for simon 
Saitaman, yes, the grappling is good. Yes, the striking can be good. But we've seen him get clipped on his entries. We've seen him get hit by big shots just in general, really. And I do worry that until he is almost kind of forced to almost get a loss to be forced to go back and look at the drawing board to make some of those adjustments. I Will he continue to get away with some of those mistakes? Because I do think offensively, there is a package that you can continue to build on, and maybe he will go from being an empty stats guy to like a Devin Booker, right? Like Devin Booker was a good player on a bad team, and now he's a great player on a good team. If Simon is able to continue to fight in this way and maybe shore up some of those defensive holes, I do think he has a reasonably high ceiling for only being one of these guys who came into the UFC being, you know, 20 years old. Because how many people in his position that we've seen. We just talked about Hal Rosas Jr. who lost to Rodriguez. Uh, Chase Hooper's another guy. Sage Northcutt of course is probably the poster boy for this category of you kind of get started a little bit too uh, soon and you don't get any underhand tosses now. I don't like it. Just because I've seen Simon get rid or get through those bad spots and he continue has, to win. Is, if and the chin's good now and you keep on getting hit by those shots, eventually you're going to get hit by one of those shots and not get up from it. Because well, we've seen a lot of guys not get knocked out until they do. Think about Drew Dober who just rebounded this past weekend. Cameron Simon is not a guy who's been knocked down, knocked out like Drew Dober, but Simon, like Drew Dober, well, one guy's 22, and it's not Dober, but he is a southpaw as well, and he can strike like that a little bit. Now, the volume in this fight, it favors Rodriguez. Sure. The boxing combinations mixed in with the leg kicks, that was a big hallmark of Rodriguez outside of the UFC, so I'm eager to see if we're able to see that kind of tight package that he can bring together, along with the good grappling game that we know that he has. And again, the one loss, he kind of got drugged into the deep waters by a bigger guy on short notice. He is good with his jitsu, but... When it does come down to it, we'll see if the takedown defense can be there for a guy like Rodriguez. You know, through three rounds, both these guys have pretty good cardio. I would still, not just off the last fight, but in general, give the edge to Rodriguez. But again, the weigh-ins, it's a big thing, even for both of these guys, but more so for the guy who's missed weight on multiple occasions, being Christian Rodriguez, a little bit of high school wrestling in his back pocket, and a snappy jab. When you look at the matchup, C-Rod is the slight favorite here. MSP hasn't faced a loss yet. Again, stance versus stance, we'll see how that plays out, because C-Rod, the longer fighter in terms of reach by the numbers. We have a look at the topology votes. Matt, I'll let you set it because I don't really know where it's going to be. I think it's going to be close though. I'll put it 60% Rodriguez. I'm going to say under. And Way under. Whoa, 1,093 total votes. 80% with the underdog Cameron Simon. 60% by decision for the 20% that of Rodriguez. 76% by decision. So the fans see this going to a decision. The fans have the underdog, and that's why I like to do this. Some people slag this part of the segment, but I like it for this reason. And this is what I had to say against it. This is this is the kind of the positive, Matt. Uh, Rodriguez last time out against Raul Rosas Jr. In the thousands, he was a big underdog. Everybody counted him out, and he was able to get the win there. So now all of a sudden, he's a favorite, but the fans don't have him to win. He hasn't been able to prove it enough. And for Cameron Simon, again, he was about a 2-1 to one dog when he took on Josh Wang Kim. That was the coming out party. So when you look at this one, I'm not surprised that the odds are close. I have a hard time making a pick on this fight, if you couldn't tell already. But the fans seem like they have their mind made up collectively. So is this like the weekend update of FNB? You know, for some people, it's the highlight. For others, just not for them. I ever so slightly have Christian Rodriguez, but I'm going to say this. 
I think Cameron is the higher ceiling between these two fighters. Like, if we ever see either fighter fighting in the top 15, I think it's probably more likely going to be Simon, and that's probably going to be if he wins this fight. But I do have Rodriguez. I think you're bringing it up. The leg kicks are going to be very important, and I think they're going to eliminate a lot of the positives from Cameron's game. I've been pretty high on Simon throughout his UFC tenure, but I do think stylistically, I ever so slightly favor Rodriguez, but I do love this fight because this fight to me is like when Brock Lesnar beat The Undertaker at WrestleMania. Because here's what it is. Nobody thought it was going to happen, like when Rodriguez beat Rosas Jr. the last time out. And how do you build off that, right? Where do you go after that? How do you make sure the guy maintains just, Jimmy some, just some level of momentum? Well, you have a fight another high-level prospect. And if he beats that other prospect, well, now we strap a jetpack to his back. And if he loses to him, well, then Cameron then builds off the Rosas Jr. win. So I do think based off matchmaking, it's a good idea. Based off that, Brock Lesnar squashed John Cena his next time out. So maybe we see that out of Rodriguez. But I do have Christian Rodriguez in this fight. Matt, I'm going to be interested because this goes against a point I made earlier and it goes into my pick. For Cameron Simon, we've seen him tested. We've seen him withstand some punishment on the feet, on the ground, Get out, gets out of the bad positions, continues to win. For Cameron Simon, though, what happens if you kick that lead leg to the point where his striking is non-effective? He's not able to push off and get his takedowns, and that southpaw big-time shiny attribute that he has then becomes to a detriment. I'm still taking him in this fight. I'm going with Cameron Simon in the matchup. I think the wrestling can carry him to a win in this fight, but Matt... This is an ultra-competitive matchup between a couple of big-time prospects. The fans, they're going one way. The odds going the other way. So please let us know down below in the comments section who you have. Make sure you rate and review Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We get some big-time fights on this card. You're going to want to keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, we always say. Let's, let's get, get into, into it. it. Big time rematch at Flyweight a couple of weeks ago. It was the top or around the world, or was it not? Three minutes and 47 seconds of the first round of their first fight. <sighs> the head went limp. The arm went limp. Tyone thought he was out. Daniel Lacerda was submitted by Edgar Shaedas, but upon further review, they overturned it quick. They called it a no contest. Shaedas, crestfallen, heartbroken. How many words can I use? And all of a sudden, Daniel Lacerda... Goes from losing five in a row by finish to losing four he in a row by finish, but with a no contest. So now we have a rematch between these two guys. And if you watch their first fight, Lacerda kind of trying to mix in some of the wrestling that we had known him for. Shaida's looking for the jiu-jitsu and, of course, his striking. So when you look at this fight again, I thought... It was a submission win for Shaedas. Then, a couple weeks later, when they show that side angle view, it really looks like a submission, but I'm not a part of any athletic commission. I'm just a guy watching here on the couch. But when it does come down to this fight, Matt, we can make this video really long, like we did their first one, and I'll link that down below in the description. You can check out the entirety of us breaking down Shaedas versus Lacerda. It should be noted, we both took Shaedas to win that fight. And I'm going to do it again. I'm gonna, Yeah, I'm going to make this video really quick. Why in the fuck would I take Daniel Lacerda to win again? Unless Edgar Shaida is for the past, I don't know, 14, 15 just nights. Just said I already beat him. Who cares? Yeah, and he's completely forgot about, like, just completely moved past this fight and doesn't care. Or if one of these two guys, and I'm, I'll just say Shaida is. This, this doesn't mean anything, but this fight's actually at a catch weight of 130 pounds. If he goes, yeah. I made the weight once. I just made it. I just beat this guy. So forget about taking the pounds off because it's up five Yo, pounds. Roberto Duran. You know? Unless Edgar Shaedas has completely given up on life in the last few weeks, 
then I think Edgar Shaida's quite extreme. wins this fight in the rematch. I think this is just like, and it's it's timely Kutalaba. because no, uh, well Kutsalaba when he rematched Magomed Ankalaev, exactly. or because those are both losses, or when Abdul Razak Al Hassan fought Sabah Omasi. Those are both knockout losses too. So it's happened before. I've seen it happen before. Again, this one's a little bit different because Lacerda is a tough guy. Like he's a tough out. Listen, in the UFC. Five have tried, and four certainly have done it. Four and a half, basically. Uh, I'm going to make one more wrestling joke, and then I already said I have Shazai's. Here's the thing. When The Undertaker would get hit by any finisher, they'd go, streak's over, streak's over. Because, you know, the streak, it was going to be over. Gets hit by a sweet chin music and then a pedigree, streak's over. It wasn't, of course, because that's not Brock Lesnar hitting those moves. But... To Lacerda's credit, the streak is over. You know? Yep. The bleeding has stopped for now. I don't have him in this matchup, though. Uh, 1,003 total votes on topology. 92% Shaires, uh 50% by submission. 29% by knockout. For the 8% that have Lacerda, 45% by knockout. Again, if you want to see the very buttoned-up professional version of this video, I linked it down below in the description. You can see our original breakdown of Shaires versus Lacerda. But we come to the same conclusion. Both of us going with Mexico's Edgar Shaires. It would be a giant, giant upset heard around the world if Lacerda can get it done. But hey, King Bobby Green was the winner last weekend, exactly. and it happens a lot in MMA. So that should be said. We get some big-time fights on the card. The next one, Matt, Pareda taking on Petrowski. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Name Picks, we always say. Let's get into it. Big-time middleweight pairing on short notice. October 6th, it was announced that Andre Petrovsky, by himself, he confirmed that he would be replacing Marc-Andre Barrio, like Jonathan Isaac. the Canadian, to take on the Brazilian star Michel Pereira. So a lot of storylines coming into this fight. You know Andre Petrovsky for his up-again, down-again collegiate wrestling career that started off at the UNC... But then it went downward. Andre Petrovsky is a guy that has beaten his demons. He's conquered substance abuse. He's one of those guys that's a really fun interview to listen to for sure. And now he gets a shot on short notice take on a big name. Moving up from welterweight in Michel Pereira. For Pereira in the UFC, his lone loss to a name. A Tristan Connolly, another Canadian. So Barrio maybe would have awoken the demons in him. But... Pereira missed weight in that fight. 172 for that one. Came hot and out of the gates. you tell how trained he was. Came hot out of the gates, but second round, third round really did struggle. And Pereira, the reason why I have it on the graphic, 174. Well, did he actually weigh 174 in his last fight in a fight of the night against Santiago Ponzinibbio? No. But he weighed 174 against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson earlier exactly. on this summer, back in July. So Pereira looking to move up to 185. And he's no stranger to middleweight. But Pereira's last fight, you want to talk about settling demons and the scores that they bring. His last time at 185 was for the Serbian Battle cha uh, Challenge oh. strap against Disco Tadorovic. He got lit up. And in that fight, they're going tit for tat in the striking. Michelle gets hit by a right hand, and then he starts going en recul, because I couldn't think of the English word. And all of a sudden... He's got his hands up. And Retreating. What, what brings his hands up on the retreat? You got it. Thank you. A jab from Todorovic really kind of just sets the and cobwebs in motion. Todorovic gets up close. He's hitting him. Pereira drops like a sack of potatoes. Todorovic is a champ over there. 
Michelle's a really big fighter for 170, but at 185, I'm curious to see how the skill set does transfer because he's someone who relies heavily on the athleticism at 170 and the power that comes along with that athleticism. And if he is fighting guys bigger than him, and guess what? Petrovsky's like a pretty jack guy for this division. He might not be as tall as some of the fighters in this middleweight division get, but he would have to cut off a leg to make 170. He is a very thick man for this division. So I'm really curious to see how the power of Michelle does transfer up at 185 because we have seen him in fights throw a lot of big power shots, have success early, not be able to get the finish on his opponent, or at least damage them enough to where they're a lesser version of themselves later on, and then he starts to just wing wild power shots, kind of hoping for the best down the home stretch. And if Petrovsky is able to absorb some of those power shots, respond with some takedowns, because of course that's going to be a part of his game plan, I'll be really interested to see how Pereira's gas tank does hold up in that third round, because, because I do think he's going to be active for a lot of this fight, and I think that's what his gas tank does rely on. I don't think he has awful cardio per se, but if he's defending takedowns, trying to respond with power shots, doing a lot of those big actions that he is well known for, because what if he tries to defend takedowns with flying knees? I, I think it's a possibility. It's a strike that could be open there for him, and yes, it would be great if he lands it, but it's also something that's going to tax his gas tank to no end, which is going to be one of those double-edged sword type scenarios. Both of these guys have that in common. They do, for, for sure. Andre Petrovsky, you look at the one pro loss, it's to Aaron Jeffrey, goes out there as a really good first round and then he becomes the nail to the hammer in the second round and if you look at it for Petrovsky over on the ultimate fighter he takes on Brian Battle looks really good at the start in the first round and then he ends up losing uh an editor's note if you will Michelle Pereira Serbian battle championship not challenge I misspoke and said challenge but that was Pereira's last time at 185 for Andre Petrovsky I mean, he's fought most recently. He fought, what, just over a month ago against Gerald Mearshart. Wins a split Champion. decision. For Michelle Pereira, his last fight about a year and a half ago was a fight of the night against Santiago Ponzinibbio. For Petrovsky, his fight against Gerald Mearshart, Matt. First round, second round, Petrovsky. He was a minus 240 favorite going into that one. Second round knockdown. He checks the leg kick. He smiles and acknowledges it with a little bit of a nod. And then he goes out there and he throws a giant overhand left from the southpaw stance and it drops GM3. But the big thing out of Petrovsky is GM3 is not a known boxer. He did hit Bruno Silva with that one shot that drops yeah, Deron wins like, what? But GM3 is not a big striker. Andre Petrovsky ate a lot of strikes from GM3. That was a split decision win. Now, I thought, again, as I had in my notes, first round, second round, Petrovsky. I agree. Third round GM3 looked pretty good though. And for Petrovsky, he can wear himself out. Now, the Hu Yao Zhang fight, yes, three and two Totoro. That oh, was a win for win. Petrovsky where he looked good all the way into the third round, gets the finish. For Petrovsky's fight against Michael Gilmore, wins first round, loses the second round. Wins the third round pretty handily. Like, he was out there getting finishes at the start of this run. Gilmore, Yao Zhang, he's a big underdog against Nick Maximov, who, out of the takedown attempt, gets oh, a submission by Anaconda. Too. And his last two wins for Petrovsky, Wellington Terman, and Gerald Mearshart. It's just, for Petrovsky, he's a really good fighter, taking this fight on short notice. Both guys, kind of tricky cardio for sure. Pereira, having just turned 30 a little over a week ago, he hasn't fought in a year and a half. We'll see how it plays out. And where I want to zig to the zag, in some fights, he's Berserker. You remember him from uh, Road FC and some other promotions where he's doing grabbing the cage, doing a moonsault, like doing the crazy stuff. The flying knee against Hot Chocolate Daniel Roberts in the debut. But in some of these fights, I think the Chaos Williams fight, I think the fight against Zalim Imadayev, 
He's mixing in some of the grappling that he to has. To be fair, him and Chaos Williams looked at each other for a solid 12 and, minutes of that fight. And he, and he has been more reserved in some of these matchups. Now, he I wasn't... just think from my perspective, though, if he is going for a lot of those bigger power shots, and I do believe he's going to have to land quite a few of those to win this fight, I think that is going to be taxing on him. And if Petrovsky doesn't go down from one, which I have no reason to believe this is going to be the case, because Michelle is a big puncher at 170. I, I just don't know if it's going to be there at 185. I'm really curious to see what his ceiling is at this division, because this is going to tell us, like, Andre Petrovsky is a good enough fighter to where if you're able to move up in weight, beat him in a really good fight, then okay, you could probably go on and beat some pretty talented fighters at 185. But for Michelle, I, I don't know if this is kind of... Remember when Kelvin Gaslam fought Nate Marquardt? Like, it was the first time the UFC said, hey, you missed weight, like, you're kind of making us look bad right now, you gotta move up and wait, and we're gonna make you do it. Now, to Kelvin Gaslam's credit, he beat the brakes off Nate Marquardt, and that was a really sad fight to watch, so it is one of those things where maybe Michelle moves up, looks great, is the faster fighter, still has his power, but on the flip side, if he is getting held against the cage, if he is defending a lot of takedowns, we could see him stare to gas early, but you do bring up a good point. Both these guys are in that category of, hey, if everything's going my way, I do have decent cardio, but once you start to face that resistance, that when that's when it starts to really go down. This is one that I wouldn't anchor a single thing to, and I call it pop and popcorn because it is so volatile. Pereira's last win at middleweight was just a couple of fights before he took on Disco Todorovic. He took on a big-time fighter who just headlined a deep card, uh, what, wow. this month, last month, in one Hei Jun Yang, who at the time was 11-5, but since losing to Pereira, he's won four fights in a row. So if you do look at this one, it is on incredibly short notice, but a week's notice for Andre Petrovsky. Pereira, slight favorite in the matchup. We'll have a look at those early topology votes, Matt. Surprise us there to you. I'm going to say over under 67.5% Pereira. I think they're going to be under. They're over. I so think I've got every one of these wrong, though. 849 total votes, 73% Pereira, 61% by decision, 30% by knockout. For the 27% that of Petrovsky, 61% by decision, 24% by submission. And Petrovsky was one of those guys, the record was good coming into the Ultimate Fighter. I kind of slagged on him a little bit for the Jeffrey loss. I still think Jeffrey's a good fighter out of Canada. The loss to Brian Battle, who went on to win the season. And Petrovsky's looked good since against not great guys, then some good guys. He's such an odd case, though, especially in this fight where it's kind of a clash of styles. I have Michelle only because of the short nature of this fight. Or short notice nature of this fight. I think on a full camp, I think Petrovsky's cardio would be able to hold up to maybe not go for an insanely high volume of takedowns, but for enough to get his head out of trouble. You know what I mean? There's fighters who, they might not secure the takedown, but it gets them out of a bad position, gets them up against the cage, which is the position that judges are most likely going to give to you in a lot of those spots. And if they do secure that takedown, it's even better for them. I think on a full camp, Petrovsky would be able to have a game plan like that and be able to do it continuously for at least two rounds but due to the short notice nature i do have michelle i think some of those shots are going to land through but that last fight was pretty close against santiago and i know a lot of people like i have a couple of friends who thought santiago won that one i don't get too caught up in people who win or lose close fights but it was a really close matchup yeah i mean Pereira is one of those guys he goes for takedowns in his fight he averages over one and a half takedowns and you don't like it when you see it per 15 minutes his strike differential 5.09 uh, four to 3.78 against and it's a good strike defense a good accuracy all the numbers are good for Michelle Pereira and to go along with it I mean he's only lost two fights in the UFC one to Diego Sanchez and one to Tristan Connolly where they were both his fault that he lost more so the Sanchez fight than the Tristan Connolly fight but when I do look at it I like the pitter-patter and the thing that I do like out of Pereira in this fight 
Again, it's a clash of styles. It's a clash of stances. I might have Petrowski as a switch fighter in this one, but he's a southpaw fighter if he's anything. And I think Pereira, with the lateral movement, he can have success. Petrowski throws those big winging shots, and I think Pereira is going to be there on the hot beat to hit him. So both of us in agreement in this one, going with Demolidor, Michelle Pereira. But Matt, my eyes are going to be glued on the telly, as they'd say over in the UK, to watch this one. Some big-time fights on the main card. The next one... Probably going to be fighting the night. J-Mart, Jonathan Martinez, taking on Adrian Yanez. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, we always say. Let's get into it. Big time possible fight of the night contender. On the main card, two Texans looking to throw down. We have, you have to call me Dragon, Jonathan Martinez, taking on Adrian Yanez out of Metro Boomin, Metro Fight Club. I love this fight. I couldn't be more excited about it. Again, we slagged the UFC when they had these Apex cards constantly. The small cage, less viewership, less in terms of crowd feel. If this was in front of a crowd in Texas, the top of the roof would blow off. Houston would go nuts for these two guys. And when you look at this one, Adrian Yanez looking to rebound. He was on a crazy wild win streak up until he fought Rob Font. A big favorite up against Font, Matt, and he wasn't able to get it done. That's Minus step up, though. 165 was Yanez, and 5,733 topology votes, 72% had Yanez to win. So now all of a sudden, is he fried liver, chopped liver, whatever you want to say? I don't think he is. He's taken on an ever-game Jonathan Martinez, who, though he did win his last fight against Syed Nurmagomedov, a lot of people thought that Nurmagomedov had won that fight two rounds to one. But Martinez on his climb, on his grind, if you look at both of these guys, Couple of wins, a uh, couple of losses, but they're they've really taken on a high level competition. Yeah, if you want to play tinfoil at MMA math, you could say, well, Matt, Davy Grant, he beat Jonathan Martinez. Davy Grant lost to Adrian Yanez. But when I look at this fight, Matt, I'm sure all the people out there they already know this. You have a pure MMA boxer in Adrian Giannis. He's not a brawler. He's a technical Christ. boxer. He's going to mix that jab to the body, mix in the hook, come up top, and throw good combinations. And he's one of those guys that maybe in the first round he downloads the game plan, especially against the kicker, and then he figures it out and he dismantles you. Jonathan Martinez, tricky sidewinder, throws a lot of kicks. But when the fight's getting tight, just like his fight against Turbo Alejandro Perez, he gets dropped at the end of that first round, even though... He won the round, which doesn't happen very often in MMA scoring. So when it does come down to this one, this is going to be the big talking point. Boxing out of Yanez, complete game from Jonathan Martinez, and usually the kicker can beat the boxer unless they get crowded out. I've made a couple of wrestling references, so let's make it three. Do you remember Eric Bischoff? Oh, yeah. His walkout song, I'm back and better than ever. Jonathan Martinez was wrote off by a lot of people because he was similar to Adrian Yanez, a pretty hyped up prospect at one point. I understand for different reasons. Hold Giannis, on. Nobody was pumping up Jonathan Martinez in Moncton, New Brunswick, Canada against Andre Sukumtoth. You know for a fact I was. How dare you? No! I have been on this Jonathan Martinez train win, lose, You just or ruined draw. the audio for everyone. I did not. This is yes, my point did. for Jonathan Martinez, though. He was very hyped up with his fighting style, more so than what you could do on the mic. Yanez is much more personable. He does a lot of big interviews and whatnot, and people do like what he's able to say and do in the cage. But for Martinez, he was putting on pretty exciting performances, and he was going out there and getting stoppages, too, at least to a certain degree. Jonathan, the Mar Jonathan Martinez's number one descriptor would be shy? 
That's what I mean. Yeah. But his fights were good. That's oh, my yeah. whole point. They were getting views different ways. But for Martinez, he was a hyped up prospect. And I understand that striking defense has always kind of been the big issue for him. He will stand a little long at range, but range is where he does have the majority of his success. He is phenomenal when he's able to implement the kicks in with his combinations. And I, I honestly think he's on a short list of some of the better kickboxers in this division when he is able to flow with his combinations just because of how strong those kicks are. But you bring it up. If Giannis can get on the inside, it's like when Shannon Briggs fought in K1, right? If I get close to them, they can't kick me. And if Giannis can get on the inside and negate a lot of the dynamic kicks and movement that Martinez brings into the cage, I think he could hit him with a lot of those shots. And the thing about Giannis is his hand speed is so phenomenal. I don't think he has like 10 out of 10 power, right? I don't think he has soft hands by any means. But the thing that catches his opponents off guard is how quick he's able to let the hands go from point A to point B. And once he is able to connect, he makes his opponents feel uncomfortable. And that's where Martinez, we can see, start to fall off. When he starts to get hit, when he starts to overthink on the back foot, that's when his fights can start to fall apart. And that's why I think this fight's so interesting because Martinez, I think, can fight a very similar fight to a Randy Costa, right? Keep it at kicking range, use your volume and use your steadiness to really damage Giannis before he's able to download that game plan. But if Giannis is able to download that near the end of the first round, start of the second round, it might be a difficult stretch for Martinez. But the thing I will say about both guys is they both do have pretty good cardio, so I don't think this is a fight where, oh, it gets to the third round, you automatically favor one over the other. And again, Martinez coming off a controversial win over Said Nurmagomedov. I know it reads as a unanimous decision, but a lot of I folks, I thought the Nurmagomedov won it against Cub Swanson, Jonathan Martinez with the leg kicks, a big story there. Vince Morales, decision win, uh, win over Alejandro Perez, and then, of course, over Zviad Lajasvili, who you probably won't see in the UFC, he had a hard time with the commission and USADA. So when you look at it for Martinez, though, again, tricky sidewinder, throws a lot of kicks, mixes in the boxing combinations. My biggest comparison in MMA is up weight class to the Canadian Charles Joel. Then Charles will switch stances more, but part and parcel of the game plans are the same, except when Charles gets hit, there's a plan B and a plan C, and he tends to bite down on the mouthpiece and just fights a little bit harder. Whereas Martinez, sometimes he can't get out of that first gear if you pour it on. And for Giannis, even though he lost his last fight against Rob Font, you think of the head kick against Victor Rodriguez. You think of the forward motion against some of these so guys. Fast. Davey Grant as well. Giannis, first half of that first round, double jab, double jab, double jab, right hand, double jab, double jab. And then all of a sudden, Rob Font's eyes starting to swell up. Rob Font lands. He rocks him with a flurry punctuated by a right hook. It drops Giannis, and that's the end of the fight. Now Giannis coming off that first UFC loss to a fizz of Dr. Pepper, and he's got to try and get a win in this one. Matt, the odds are at par in this matchup. Giannis just coming off that loss looking to, to rebound, and his last loss... It was a really close fight against Miles Johns, and he was able to rebound really well. Some of the wins, Gustavo Lopez, you know, Octagon champ Gustavo Lopez, Randy Costa, David Grant, Tony Kelly, and the aforementioned... Tony Kelly wanted a rematch. Victor Rodriguez, Tony Kelly wants a lot of things he's not going to get. Matt, when you do look at this one, we have a look at the top all you vote. Surprise, how's there to you? The fans love these two fighters, so I'm eager to hear from you guys in the comments on this too. I'm going to say over under 65% Giannis, even though it's a par. I'm going to say under, so it's probably over. It's the opposite. Oh, boy. 11-11, wow. make a wish. 1,111 a total votes. 55% Martinez. 77% have him to win by decision. For the 45% that have Giannis, 70% by knockout. I think this goes to a decision. But I have a hard time trying to pick a winner. 
And I am going with John and the Martinez because I think the the kicks. I can't believe we're doing another high five. No, I think the kicks are going to be able to do it. I, I think can't. the knees of the middle are. That's what my big point was. I think he's going to be able to negate some of the forward pressure Yanez brings into the cage because Martinez will go for that tie clinch and throw his knees at the middle. And if he's able to do that, I bring up this example all the time: Cowboy Cerrone versus Eddie Alvarez. How he was able to negate some of that forward pressure with the boxing of Eddie Alvarez was throw check knees up the middle to meet him there, and it does at least keep him at bay for a little bit. Now two ways that these guys can learn from one another. Jonathan Martinez has a loss in the UFC to Andre Yule. Andre Yule doesn't kick. Andre Yule doesn't really do anything other than box with his length. And what did he do? He kept Jonathan Martinez away from him, utilized his boxing combinations, went to the body, but mostly to the head, and he got a decision win over Martinez and really like tripled up on the strikes in that one. It wasn't all that close. When you just look at the numbers without looking at that fight, you got to go back and watch the fight too. For Yanez, you look at the fight that he had against Davey Grant, and he beats Davey Grant, but by the numbers again, it paints a picture. 40 strikes to the head for Davey Grant in that one, 18 to the leg. Uh, Adrian Yanez, 66 to the head. 20 to the leg, but 40 to the body for Grant, 14 for Yanez to the body. If you keep Yanez away and you work at his body, there is a path there. Now, Yanez did beat Grant. It was a close fight at the very end, whereas Grant beat Martinez. But all I have to say, I like Martinez. I like the attacks to the body, and I'm going to pick him to win this fight. Matt, some big-time fights left on this card. Main event, co-main event. You're not going to want to miss them. Keep locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's, let's get, get in. into it. Last weekend, the UFC was at the Apex and the co-main event fight that people should tune in for. They made that a if-you-don't-know-now-you-know fight between Joe Pfeiffer and Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. So you're going with the fight that people are watching, you're telling them what they're watching. Matt, coming up this weekend, Jennifer Maia is fighting Viviani Arojao. If you didn't know that, now you do know that. Congrats. So when it does come down to this fight, Arojao on a two-fight skid, Jennifer Maia on a two-fight win streak... Uh, the, the contrasts and comparables, they don't end there. Aruja, former champ over with Pancrase, strawweight champ over with Pancrase for Jennifer Maya, a champ over with Invicta coming into the UFC. This is where the comparisons end. Viviani Aruja tends to lose second rounds in her fights. Even in the fight that she wins, like the Alexis she Davis fight, I think to her Caitlin Chukagian fight, she'll lose a second round here and there. She has a good first round, and then the third round, you got to see if she can squeak it out. But for Aruja losing these fights, she's a few weeks away from, what, now her 37th birthday. You just had Jennifer Maya turn 20 or 35 not that long ago. So both fighters, long in the tooth, both High on experience. One out of Serato MMA. That is Viviani Arujao. You're going to find Vicente Luque, the Bonfim brothers, out of that gym. For Jennifer Maya, with the Monstro. Out of Shoot the Box Monstro. But when I look at this fight, Matt, for Jennifer Maya, I go back to her second to last fight against Marina Morose. What was the talk? Morose with the volume. Morose <laughs> with the grappling. Morose is going to win that fight. And I was on the island taking Maya. But I didn't have Maya last time out. Because I thought, well, Casey Kenny going to bring the... Or, sorry, Casey Kenny. Casey O'Neill going to bring... still don't know where Casey Kenny is. Yeah, Casey Kenny. Just podcast appearances, fights. What happened to Casey Kenny? But when it comes down to Jennifer Maya against Casey O'Neill, both women threw with really good volume. But it was the volume mixed in with the power of Jennifer Maya that got it done in that decision win. But when I look at this one, Matt, stick-to-itiveness, volume, good chin... Uh, decent defensive grappler. I know Jennifer Maya has all of those things. And sometimes Arujao can be a little bit reserved. Now, 
That's in watching their fights. In numbers, Viviani Arujao has a slightly higher pace in what she throws, ever so slightly, and she absorbs a, a lot of little bit more damage. So a negative strike differential for Arujao uh, to the tune of almost one strike per minute, and it's just a slight negative for Jennifer Maya. But, uh, you know, it's one of those spots where, like Brendan Schaub would say, I think you'd be surprised. In that respect. Do you know what I like about this fight? I like that it's two fighters who very much are in the same category in this division. Where they're two of the original 125ers who has some steam behind them, right? Like, Arujao, I again, you might look at her 5 on in right now. She's only 2-3. and three. You might not remember the fighter she once was. But going into that Jessica I fight, if she had won that, there was a very real possibility she was going to challenge for that title. And for Jennifer Maya, it feels like she's been, what, top 6, top 5 in this division ever since it has come into the UFC and she made the transfer over from Invicta. So it's two fighters who really have been in the division for a long time fighting other veterans in the game. It's not like they're fighting somebody who's just new to the top 15 trying to make a name off one of these vets. So that's what I like. I, I don't think the loser is going to drop too far in the division. I think they will get another opportunity probably again at that point to fight one of those up-and-comers. But for Araujo, it's not just the pacing. It's that she has to fight the fight at her style for her to have a lot of success. When she is able to really set up her combinations, get her feet planted, and really make everything perfect, then she can excel, but it is almost like a more volume-heavy Uriah Hall, right? What do we always say about Uriah Hall? It's, hey, yes, the big power shots are great, but okay, we're waiting for them to happen. We're waiting for them to happen. Arusha will really set up her combinations sometimes and get her feet perfectly into position before she will start to bite on some of those combinations. And I do think if she is able to land in combination and get some of those power shots involved, I think her striking might be a little bit more crisp than Jennifer Maya. But the flip side is, Maya, and you bring it up, is somebody who will crash forward quite a bit. And I do think that's going to have a tendency to really disrupt the rhythm of Arusha. Because if she's not able to really set up those combinations... Not that anybody wants to see Jennifer Maya just hold Araujo up against the cage for 15 minutes, but it's a spot that's at least going to evaporate some of that range and get Araujo out of a position she could succeed in. Yeah, I mean, everybody remembers Jennifer Maya for her title challenge against Valentina Shevchenko. She was the first, but not the last. UFC she 255, won she won that round uh, with those, or that takedown. I mean, 255, Moreno... Uh, not Moreno, Figueredo versus Perez. Perez. If you do look at it overall in the UFC for Jennifer Maya, wins over Roxanne Modafferi, Alexis Davis, Joanne Wood, Jessica I, Marina Moroz, Casey O'Neill. Again, some comparables between these two women. They both fought Alexis Davis. They both fought Roxanne Modafferi. The weigh-ins were concerned for Jennifer Maya at one point. Sure. We haven't seen it being an issue lately. But again, this is going to come down to range, to pace, and to foot placement. Those are going to be the big things in this fight. Maya is the slight favorite in the matchup. It might feel like a quick zip of a co-main event, but we're getting you to that main event. We have a look at the top all votes, Matt. Surprised the Aus is there to you. I'm going to say over under 70% Maya. Personally, I have it over, but I have a weird hitch that it's going to be under. It's over. A thousand and eighty total votes. Eighty-four percent Maya. Ninety-one percent by decision from the sixteen. I don't want to be here anymore. In the suit. No. Percent that have Arujo, 83% by decision. I mean, for Arujo, we think back. Pancrase champ, all the highlights, comes in, fights. Listen, Toledo Bernardo is a champ. That was a big overhead. She's a champ outside of the UFC right now. But yeah, Arujo knocked her out in her first UFC fight. If she can get a good kind of work rate in the first round, maybe have a good second round. But stylistically, or typically not so much, and then has a good third round. Maybe Arujo can get the win, but I just like the steadiness out of Jennifer Maya. I also have Jennifer Maya, but I brought up that point at the start of the video on purpose. Like, I, I, 
It's weird, right, to be both these fighters in the division right now. You have a new champion who, oddly enough, had a draw with another one of the old guard, but I doubt they're going to run that back for a third time. Grasso, I think, is getting surgery right now anyway, so she's going to be off for a little bit. So both these fighters being the veterans of the division with a lot of these newer fighters making their rise, it's going to be weird to see who they match them up with. Ty Next, like, I don't think Tyler Santos. Tyler Santos on the shelf, for the and winner. it's not It's not going to be Fyodor, it's not going to be Blanchfield, it's not going to be one of those top fighters, it's not going to be Caitlin Chukagian again. So Tyler Santos probably next for the winner, but both of us I in like this it. one. Going with a Brazilian, Brazilian's going to win, unless you get a fight like Shaidas and Lacerda. Uh, both of us going with Jennifer Maya to get the win. Matt, main event, Brazil, Nigeria. What a fun fight. It's Edson Barbosa taking on Sadiq Yusuf. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Name Picks, we always say. Let's, let's get, get into, into it. Featherweights on the marquee coming up this weekend. The main event of UFC Vegas 81. You've got Super City Yusuf taking on Edson Barboza, a guy who's in the top 10 all time for knockdowns in UFC histories, for, for bonuses. He's up there in a lot of those respects. He got very, very close to that lightweight title picture, but he wasn't able to get it done. Oh, and seemingly bridesmaid, but never the bride, Edson Barboza looking to turn away yet again another prospect. As always, one half of your host duo, Craig Allen, Twitter and Instagram at Craig Allen FNP. With me to my left, to your right, respective socials at Matt Allen FNP. I even changed the graphic. I get X up there. That. So you can find us there. But Matt, when we look at this fight, I know a lot of people are excited about it because for Sadiq Yusuf, He's been away for a very long time. And I'll throw it up there. MMA Fighting, they did an interview with him at the start of the year. And he was talking about his unprofessional fight breakdowns on Twitter. Because he's had to find something to kind of pass the time They're as he twiddles his thumbs. And he mentioned it in that article. You know, he's had the back injury. And he was going to take a fight. But then he had to wait quite a bit. He had an article that came out today. Monday, before the fights of Fight Week, with E. Spencer Kite, British Columbia's finest, and he said that it was L4, L5 were the back issues that he had, herniated disc there, and he's just been away kind of on the sidelines looking to recoup, recover, and get fresh for a matchup like this. And for Sadiq Yusuf, it was a long time away too, before he ended up fighting Don Shanus last year, where I mean, listen, he was a massive, more than a 10 to 1 favorite in that one. And he looked like it. He completely dismantled Sheamus in the first round. But Yusuf with a very tough test in Barboza. He's faced long rangey strikers in the past. He's fought Andre Feely. He's had some really big fights, too. People might forget some of them. But if you look at it for Yusuf, it's not a Sadiq Yusuf fight. If he doesn't get hit and raggedy andied in the first round, either drop or the knees kind of drop, and then he pops himself back up. Uncredited knockdowns, as we say in the business, for Yusuf to get into it, get tight, and get a win. And the only time that we've really seen him not be able to get over that hump was against Arnold Allen, where he gets dropped, he gets into some of the wrestling exchanges, he can never get his rhythm going. And for Barboza, when you're trying to make the stylistic comp, Barboza, you know him for the Terry Adam kick. You know him for the leg kicks. I think at the highest of highs That's being boxing's good too. his fight where Billy Quarantillo's bringing it to him and then just in that exchange, pop, with the knee and he slumps him in the first round. Or his fight against Dan Hooker. Shane Burgos. But then on the flip, or Shane Burgos, but on the flip side, then you think of that Giga Chikadze fight. And this is why I have such a hard time with this fight. You are right to bring up the injuries of Sadiq Yusuf because they should be a big conversation of this matchup. He's an extremely athletic fighter who really does rely on his physical strength to go out there and get these wins, be it with his punches or even with some of the wrestling that we yeah. have seen. Here's the problem though. Edson Barbosa, and I don't feel good saying this at all, 
How much does he have left as a fighter? Like, the guy has been in nothing but crazy fights his whole entire life, and I just don't know if the damage has taken its toll on him. I remember bringing this up a lot going into the Bryce Mitchell fight, and even after it, it was, hey, he got dropped by a jab. He had been dropped by jabs before that. I remember Cowboy Cerrone dropped him with a jab before he was able to get him with a rear naked choke, but that was 10 years ago. Now when he starts to eat damage, and I forget the Shane Burgos fight almost as a counter to my own point, because Shane Burgos was able to land some pretty good shots on him throughout that matchup, but ultimately we all remember the finish, Edson landed that big overhand and then the delayed reaction of Burgos. I just don't know if Edson can eat those big shots coming back his way. And I know every now and then he's able to eat them, but in large parts, he can't implement his boxing like he once was able to. And that was the most underrated part of his game. Even in the early goings of the Justin Gaethje fight, he was having some success with his own hands countering Justin Gaethje, making his entries. But of course, he was circling off the cage, gets hit by a big shot. And I think that's a position he might find himself in again against a guy like Sadiq Yusuf. Because you bring up the leg kicks of Edson Barbosa. Sid Yusuf can check leg kicks. He's pretty darn good at it, actually. And I do think that is a big X factor anytime you talk about Edson Barbosa fight. Because going into the Burgos matchup, what was the big conversation? Can the boxing of Burgos get to Barbosa before the leg kicks of Barbosa get to Burgos? Sadiq Yusuf, I think he's going to get hit by some leg kicks, don't get me wrong, but I do think he is more well-equipped defensively to deal with those leg kicks and at least elongate the matchup that way. And we haven't even gotten to the fact that this is a five-round fight for Sadiq Yusuf. I'm really curious to see how much that's going to matter. It might not matter either way because both guys have insane power and could finish this fight at any point. But do you think either guy is going to get a big edge because of the five-round atmosphere? Is that a big... Yeah, Barbosa. I mean, again, Barboza, he has 15 knockdowns. That's fourth all-time in UFC history. He's fought, power. he's fought in main events. I say bridesmaid, but never the bride. And when you look at this fight, yeah, I, I do think it gives an edge to Edson Barboza. You look at it for Sadiq Yusuf. He has a crazy fight against Beast Boy Mike Davis over on Contender Series. He gets a win there in 2018. Fights Suman Mokhtarian, those crazy Mokhtarian brothers, and knocks him out in the first round. He fights Shaman Morais. He drops him in that fight. Fights Gabriel Benitez, it's who it's hits it, him. They have a rock'em, sock'em fight. And going back and watching that fight, I went, Gabriel Benitez dropped him, right? Uncredited knockdown. But there's a short left where he kind of drops. Raggedy Andy pops right back up. They get back into it. And he ends up finishing with a counter right. Gabriel Benitez. He fights Andre Feely. Kind of a raggedy Andy spot in the first round. Springs back up. Wins that first round on the judges' scorecards. Wins the second round, but Feely rallies back in the third round. He fights Arnold Allen, if I'm not mistaken. Again. He gets hurt in the first round of that fight as well. Alex Caceres. But he rallied at the end of yeah. that one, and that is kind of the odd one. A lot of these fights, it is. He's going to start really strong, and then, you know, Andre Feely had some success late. But in that Arnold Allen fight, it was kind of the complete opposite. Sadiq Yusuf struggled early, but as that fight continued, he was getting to Arnold Island. And Fred's and Barboza again. He's closer to 38 than he is 37, but once you get up there in age, once you're dropping down the weight class, we saw it with Jose Aldo. Still having really good competitive fights against top bantamweights. Losing some of the fights though as well. So when I do look at this one, Matt, I have it for Sadiq Yusuf. I thought today is the day. He's got a capital C for not captain, for crash the distance. He crashes the distance like very few fighters can. You talk about foot placement. He's always there in the foot placement, even if he's going out there and kind of biting down in the mouthpiece and brawling a little bit more than he should. Because when Yusuf is fighting really technically and he's using that fight IQ that he has, 
some guys just can't get away and he's always there to counter and hit the opponent back and so capital c for crash the distance but there's a reason why i wore this jets jersey man and it's not number 55 it's number 26 today was a big day for hockey fans and especially hockey fans in the middle of this country matt connor hellebuck and Mark Shifley signed the exact same deal. 8.5 mil a year. They're staying in the coldest city in Canada. Wow. And why do I say that? Because for Mark Shifley, he looked like he was on the outs last year. He looked like the cards were stacked against him. And then the start this year before training camp, they gave the C away. Not to Brett, uh, or not to Blake Wheeler, but they gave it to Adam Lowry. Blake not Wheeler got the loudest cheer I've ever heard of any athlete my whole entire but life. But they gave it to Adam Lowry. Third line center was really gritty. But all of this to say, Matt, that sometimes you're on the outs, like Blake Wheeler was with the Jets last year, and that could be what we see for Edson Barbosa. So the double meaning of the jersey. I'm going to have a comp too. Edson's NBA comp is easily DeMar DeRozan. Like, he's really, really good, has a lot of fans, you're going to remember him, he might even be a Hall of Famer one day. But, he isn't in that top, top tier of like, oh, that is definitely a Hall of Famer, right? Like, Edson Barbosa has memorable fights with pretty much everybody, but you can't say he won the majority of them. Well, that was still pretty memorable. Like, by the end of that, he was throwing wheel kicks, even though it was down like 30 to 20. So, it was still pretty memorable for Edson Barbosa. My point is, like, there's a lot of people out there who are Edson Barbosa fans, right? And there's not a ton of MMA fighters you can say that about. But Edson Barbosa, Sadiq Yusuf, guess what? If your girlfriend's got plans and you're not down with them, you can cancel those plans for this fight. It's one of few. It's good enough that you can probably get away with it. I think Edson's going to show up the best version of himself because offensively, I still think he is like 98% of what he once was. I just think defensively and in terms of his durability, he is not that same fighter. So for those reasons, I think Yusuf's going to get on the inside. He's going to hit him with some big shots. Expect Yusuf to use the clinch too. I think he's got really nice power up the middle. He's got a good elbow in that spot. And if he is able to land from that range, it's really going to deter Edson from getting close. So, so I've this, Yeah, this is your first time doing one of these videos, just burying the lead. Matt, uh, Sadiq, Sadiq Yusuf, uh, what? I'm almost certain that you had said you had Sadiq before. No, I have had some Barbosa win this fight. 1,800 total I love votes how close there. on our YouTube community tab poll. 51% Barbosa, 49% Yusuf. Fight Hive at this point in their career. I think Yusuf plays the first round slow. Implements the grappling he's shown his last two fights to wear Barbosa against the cage. Lenny saying Barbosa has looked good, but father time. In brackets. Sadiq has had enough time to develop as a fighter to pull off the win, I believe. And uh, Quest saying, super close fight. Only beef with Sadiq is that he isn't active. This guy has so much potential, but he fights like once a year on average. I responded, because the guys battle with injury. And I wanted to bring it up, and I did. E. Spencer Kite, this is a direct quotable from Sadiq Yusuf. A week or two weeks after that fight, the fight against Don Shanus, I herniated two discs in my back, and one of them was really bad, the L4, L5. So it was very painful to stand up or walk around. They told me six months, and I tried to speed it up as much as I could, did as much PT as I could, got a couple cortisone injections, but couldn't really beat the projections. So he didn't get the surgery, and he had to take time away from training. And then he's trained, and I'll throw a picture up there. Sadiq Yusuf has been training in the DMV with everybody in around that Washington, Maryland area. And you can see that he brought in a guy that's close goodbye, a guy who trains a crazy 88 MMA. Matt, you know that guy. It's another Matthew. Semmelsberger, big body, to try and work in some of those moves. I don't like the time away for Sadiq Yusuf. I don't like the striking defense from Sadiq Yusuf. And I think the boxing and the kick, uh, kicking game of Barboza could take over. How The one thing that worries me, though... Even in Barbosa's fight against Billy Q, Billy Q walked across cage and he was doing really well with his boxing. 
until he wasn't. So for Barboza, he was definitely wearing some of that damage on his face at the end of that first round. He was definitely the victor. But I do have Barboza, and I guess you have Yusuf. In it's a great fight, though. Like, I genuinely think this is going to be fight of the night. You'd be hard-pressed to find anybody who would pick another fight on this card because it is so competitive. And these are two guys who will, every now and then, in kind of go for that fight of the night, you know? And that's what we love both these guys for. So I think it's a phenomenal fight. It's a fight that is going to set them up very well to fight. Probably not a title eliminator the next time out, but you're going to get one of those big names in the featherweight division. Listen, Brian Ortega needs to fight somebody when he comes back. Yair Rodriguez, Josh Emmett's out there. And There's hey, a lot of great fighters. Now, all of a sudden, today on Monday of Fight Week, Ilya Tapuria and Alexander Volkanovsky, that That's being the fight one. for the title at UFC 297. Some big-time fights on this card. If anything changes throughout the week, at Fight Night Picks here on YouTube, make sure you toss a subscription out there. You can find us on X and Instagram at that same handle. You are going to want to keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, we always say. Let's get into it.